This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Born Again Blake from the Ether. And it's time to... <laughs> Release the... Kraken! Born again, Blake Simmons. I'm doing very well tonight. Uh, it's a beautiful night in San Francisco, so all things considered, it's a very good day. And the Giants beat the Cubs, so yay. I saw the end of that. Yeah. Why couldn't that happen? The other, well, anyway. No, it happened two out of three, so that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Did I see Johnny tweak tweak his arm or his hand or something in that one hit? Uh, for Johnny Cueto, you're speaking mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. He is. Uh, he's Mr. DL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he like strains muscles that he doesn't have that kind of thing yeah he's got the uh he's got the falling down sickness oh listen it's nothing like benito santiago back in the day if you recall when he thought he was playing uh soccer right oh i do recall yeah well he probably could play for the world cup team right now yeah <laughs> which by the way which, which by the one? way go croatia <laughs> yeah go croatia oh man there was someone in my office who was surreptitiously watching that instead of doing what they're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden I heard him go, no, <laughs> I was like, Oh, really? You have a cab, you have a CAD problem. No. <laughs> muscle cramp, muscle cramp, <laughs> muscle cramp. <laughs> I hit myself with my pen. I need an ambulance. Oh no. My Adobe <laughs> license is expired. Yeah. For the love of God. Where's my passport? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's been so long since I've seen you. Yes, it's been a whole 48 hours, I think. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much right. Um, at yeah. the time of this particular recording session, we only recently snuck out to see a sweet, sweet film, which we'll be talking about shortly. But in the meantime, I wanted to ask you, did you hear, did you note that uh, the press is abuzz with the fact that Steve Ditko passed away? Yes, I did. What do you think about that? No. Nah. Well, obviously, not not good news for for him. Well, he's yeah, he was ninety something, but yeah, you're right, you're right. But you know what? I but think he, I mean, but he had a great life, right? And uh, the fact Maybe. that he was able to see, well, I think he had things ironed out at least fiscally at the end. Sounds like um, it. Yeah. But uh, I mean, to be a part of the creation of so many permanent fixtures in culture, right? At least yeah. uh, with the fanboys and whatnot, but. Um, and then to see it go on the big screen in such a demonstrable way with all the angst and everything else on top of it. But I, I wouldn't mind switching spots than having that kind of career. So at the end, you really don't leave uh, anything, anything behind un, well, un, undone. Well, so for the, for the last several decades, the, the thing was, well, he's been a recluse and he's been, you know, not communicating with the press yeah. and yeah, yeah. he's been shorted, you know, the assumption was that it was, you know, a, a divide based on not getting adequate compensation and and uh, credit for mm-hmm. his contributions in the design side of things, not just the production mm-hmm. side, which is, of course, the story of all the comics of the day, right? The work for higher stuff. But, yeah. but, you know, for decades it was, you know, he's he's locked up in some apartment somewhere and no one knows what his deal is and he won't talk to anybody. And I heard from two different... Um, Sources that in the towards the end of his life, when someone in one case someone opened his mail by accident, and in another case someone was talking to someone, but they basically said that he was getting really big checks from Marvel. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, it makes me happy. For mm-hmm. I don't know what his 
what is it who his heirs are and i don't know what his situation is but the idea that at least in some way he wasn't being totally shafted even if it wasn't as publicly as as it should as uh you know as he, sh- as he should have gotten this credit but what i think is interesting about it is we're at a time in the zeitgeist where pop you know comic culture is so mainstream that people are talking about creators rights mainstream yeah. You know, yeah. like Time Magazine style, which is yeah. something we've never had happen before, right? Even right. with all these big movies that have come out, you know, sometimes there's a interesting credit in the in the in the opening credits for the film, you know, or the closing credits, like thanks to the actual creator, you know, who didn't get any profits from the <laughs> creation of the thing, but thanks, you know, and that was all, you know, to people like you and me, were like, oh yeah, good, at least they they acknowledge their name, but you know, here, you know, you, you look at mainstream news and they're talking about, well, what did Steve Ditko actually do? Oh, he. Stan Lee said, hey, maybe there's a guy with, like, spider powers. And he's like, okay, I got it. And also I'll design how he looks and how he acts and all his villains and everything else. <laughs> and Doctor yeah, yeah. Strange. You know, I mean, but, that's, a, that's a conversation in the mainstream, which we never had before. Right. And, and But I also think it's important to put history in the right context. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and this guy didn't volunteer his time. I'm sure he had a contract that clearly specified... Oh, yeah. Everything terrible, in it. terrible contract. Yeah, of course, absolutely. But you take a look at, um, you know, this is the history of entertainment in the world. You take a look at sports figures back in the day that built the league and made the the owners rich and just suffered on the field and sure. were taken advantage of. Um, um, you take a look at singers that oh, yeah. Johnny Cash, uh, right, right, Elvis, back in the day were taken advantage of. So this is, it's sad and it's systemic, but. It's not. It's it. It's in the. You got to take into consideration all well, the perspectives in order to make it right. And I think the fact that, um, unlike so many others that we mentioned, that at least somebody tried to do the right thing. And seems like yeah, yeah. And it, it's incredible that, and it's also, you know, what, what was his motivation for doing it? Was it? Was he driven to do it just because that was his creative expression and there was nothing else that satisfied him? And then. Uh, if that was the case, wouldn't it be satisfying and gratifying to see that you're entertaining millions? I wonder about that. With, with your creation, re- regardless of whether it made you rich or not. Gosh, you know, that's uh, that's fascinating. Wait, hold on. Hold on to that thought. I was going to mention one other thing, which was that what I find interesting about his story is that he was swept under the rug, not by corporate, you know, corporate types, the the faceless giant in the in in the way that you know DC has seemed to be mm-hmm. and major studios film studios act like but you know he was he was swept under because of the um magnanimous personality of Stan Lee and how Stan Lee sold himself but sold his you know his legacy the way a barker would he oversold mm-hmm. himself and like you know he created all this from scratch at the expense of the people that worked with him, just like what happened with uh, Finger on Batman mm-hmm. on the DC side of things. But, you know, I think that, he, you know, he, Ditko was un, was unlucky to not only have not gotten credit for a major, you know, designing the arguably the most popular comic character ever, right? Mm-hmm. And as, mm-hmm. among all the others that he worked on. Um, and then also influencing how they looked through the stories that he drew as well. Mm-hmm. But... But he was lost not by not because of a big unseen corporate machine, but by a guy who was like, "Hey, I did it all." It's like it, it just ripe for some movie ten years from now or something about those two and some imagined conflict between them. 
So oh, I, I, bet, I, bet, I bet it'll probably happen sooner than that. Um, yeah. Because it is such a compelling and fascinating story. and But think about, yeah, think about how in these last five years you've had all this, innu- this innuendo and all of this, you know, propaganda and, and questions about what's happening with Stan Lee's mm-hmm. estate and, and yeah. his piece, presence of mind and the stories I've heard at the convention when I've been there about his handlers and what happens with him. It's, he's blind. I mean, it's horrifying what's happening to him too. And, and, and it's not, and it's especially interesting that he releases stuff in his own name saying hey actually don't worry about all that stuff everything's fine but then again he's had a hand we know he's had handlers who have been speaking as him and he even mm-hmm. was doing supposedly doing lawsuits about people taking his identity so stanley's last five years is a movie yep and then you and then you fold in stuff like this with Ditko. i mean i think it'd be great i'm there yep. i am buying that ticket man well i i also think it's the a common refrain in american history you take a look at um, all these so-called American success stories, and uh, team, team efforts, and, and and how they are taken down by their so-called friends and handlers, and mm-hmm. and just taken advantage of and exploited, uh, just because they are the goose that lays the golden egg. And you, yep. I mean, how many how many popular figures have you heard uh, declaring bankruptcy? Right. Because of right. stupid decision making, because they delegate yeah. and trust yeah. somebody else. Sure, I mean even even Johnny Depp is <laughs> in that is living yeah. that right now too, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, according to certain media outlets, so it's um, yeah. It's everybody, a seems thing. A, everybody seems yeah. to have a colonel, right? Yep. No money, more problems. Well, and the thing the thing just, you were said about the thing you said earlier about um, you know maybe he got some pleasure out of seeing his creations finally being done right i mean there have been more attempts to do spider well almost as hmm, i don't know if it's more than batman or not but there have been you know a number of reasonably okay depending on what you thought yeah. but as 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 fan fanboy critics we can be critical of the different spider-man projects but you know i mean for the mainstream even the toby mcguire stuff was was great right i well, mean I there's mean, been so many in the last 10 12 years so many great big high profile you know spider-man films and the most recent stuff is just you know universally accepted as like the best stuff mm-hmm. the question is is was was ditko the guy that is like i can't remember like alan moore right he won't look at any of the stuff that was adapted from him he, he's taken his name off things he's right ah, doesn't matter how good it was he doesn't get he doesn't care right so who knows i mean it, that guy's another one that i'd love to see a movie about i'd buy that ticket too yeah uh, it's uh it's fascinating right um but nonetheless, I hope that at his the final stages, at least he got, if not social justice, equitable recognition for his contributions that was way overdue. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, my friend, want to quickly segue into a very important uh, component of our show, which I call the sucking the monkey segment? I thought it was a wounded wombat. That's, yeah, also, sure, can... that's also applicable. <laughs> Maybe on your side. Are you doing rosé again? Uh, look at this. <laughs> this isn't whiskey, my friend. This uh, is Chardonnay. I was going to say, when you first waved that at me on the video thing, I thought to myself, he's had ice in there too long. Because you, t- yeah. you you texted me earlier. We were trying to get our kids to go to sleep. And you texted me earlier that you had whiskey with ice in it. And then you hold that thing up. And I said, oh, no, this no, is no, no, That's what I give my kid. Oh, got, it. got See, it. I yeah, thought it was I, the... I always, tell, I always tell her, put ice in the bourbon because that makes it smoother and cooler i i always learned that you get kids to go to sleep you give them a forearm of rum and then they 
Oh wait, no, it was a finger. No, a forearm of rum, and then yeah. they're out. I think you're, t- you're you're getting these confused again with uh, different venues and different contexts. And, Why are there cops outside my know, house? That's you know, yeah, finger and forearm. You got to be really careful about stop, about stop. usage. Yeah, no, stop, stop. No, this no, isn't, this isn't the Jackson family. Don't do that. So, oh, zing. Do you have? Speaking... Did you see that today? Mm-hmm. They say that the the infamous um, murder doctor is saying that uh, Michael Jackson's father was chemically castrating him. The thing about that is to maintain his voice. It's a it's it's plausible, and that's what's that's where we are in our culture. That something like that just kind of flies right across the bow, and you're like, yeah, okay. And because everything from the top down in our news is so ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fifteen years ago, that would have been an incredible news story. (laughs) No, and and it would have dwarfed and drowned out everything else. Whitney Houston uh, would be like. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jackson putting his kid over the railing at the hotel mm-hmm. seemed kind of quaint and uh, responsible now. Yeah, right. Do you have any other um, news items that you wanted to do, wanted to discuss? Of well, a news a, I, had, I had one that came across the bow that I found kind of both interesting, staggering and alarming. All those things? Both? Yes, which is uh, Joaquin Phoenix being announced as the new Joker. Well, OK. Now, OK, wait a minute. So he so the the broader thing about that is that DCU has has greenlit like 50 projects. There's three different projects with the Joker in it. Mm-hmm. And that was just one of them. And in the time since they announced that, which was like two months ago, they also announced that Leto is getting another stab at it. Plus, there's the implication that it's going to be involved in one of the other films. So they're they're taking the throw it against the wall and see what sticks method. Which is just, could you imagine three different Iron Men? Well, could, you, could you imagine like five different Thors? Well, they're going to be um, doing going well. Well, okay, I d- so I, I think I, I just they're going to do it with Batman, Marvel, DC. <laughs> yes. if, if Marvel did, it'd be good. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, because it'd be Daredevil with better suits. <laughs> You're right, um, stiffer suits. Actually, Stiff. the funny thing you mentioned that because I was talking to someone at uh, the most recent comic convention when they were they were buying my my Daredevil, uh, you know, Mar- Netflix Daredevil print, and. We were talking about the helmet design and how it kind of cha- how his suit changed and how I liked his black suit first, but you yeah. know as far as a slightly armored combat suit for a guy who's nimble, it was a pretty good effort with the way they did the helmet. And we were talking about how it was only at the very end of the Nolan verse stuff that they came up with a an armored, you know, a lightly armored Iron Man or a Batman that that could move that could move his head and looked like it might make sense and it looked weird. Like yeah. it, in its best, the Nolan vs. Batman suit was awkward, and mm-hmm. then the the BVS suit looks great, but doesn't make sense as as far as what the cow on the neck is doing. It's just it's comic book design, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But when you think about it in terms of the lightly armored functional suit, the Daredevil suit from Netflix season two, it needs more red, but it makes more sense. It makes more sense. It looks more functional than the Nolan vs. Batman suits did. Agreed. Agreed. But I still don't understand, getting back to our original point about yes. three different Jokers. Yes. I mean... Well, okay, so they're going to do a Batman... They have a Batman film in development that's going to have one to two different Batman in it. Because Matt Reeves is talking about... Or the, the, the scuttlebutt is he's going to have... Maybe it might be young Batman going on, and maybe... Maybe... Affleck Batman's going to be, at some point, like bookending it, but it's going to be mostly younger Batman. And, and, and at the same time... The scuttlebutt is that Affleck is at least in for one more, maybe the Flash film, mm-hmm. before he jettisons if he does. 
And I think that there's a there's definitely a mechanism for having multiple versions of a character in continuity. Well, not in in different continuities available to you at the same time. If the projects are so distinct that you look at it like that anthology style, like it's they're very different viewpoints. And the question I have is, DC Warner Brothers haven't been able to be consistent in a view, in a stylized viewpoint about anything after Nolan left. And so I don't even, I have very little confidence that they're going to be able to uh, differentiate between those projects. No, I have complete confidence that it's going to be a dog's breakfast. Now that said, Joaquin Phoenix as a Joker sounds fine to me. And they yes, said it's going to be like a, like a, like a noirish kind of street level kind of thing, which could be really cool. Yes, it could be. Except but, they have, if they're going to do that, but they haven't made a successful mainstream Joker, that's depressing. Well, right? other than, I mean, the, the two that's at the bar are Jack Nicholson. Hey, you turn into a robot, man. Oh, you're back. You still there? Yeah. You you tried you tried to you tried to announce Jack Nicholson, and then the internet took a shit because come on, man. Boombox in the in the museum. Give me a break. It's the 21st century. Live in the Bay Area, and we still have shitty internet. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, But I was going to say Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger, right? Yeah. But I just, and I get the whole different characters, different actors playing different stages of development, but I still have a hard time understanding what the differentiation is going to be temporally or aesthetically between um, Joaquin Phoenix and Jared Leto. I, I think it's about release time. I think it's about, I think the challenge is we're talking about films coming out very close together. Right. Because we so, can, as, as people who rewatch movies and as people who like think about movies enough that it's it's still sort of present... I'm quite capable of having Jerry Leto Joker, the positives of it, and there were some, mm-hmm. um, and the, the Ledger Joker, and I have them in my mind together as being two different ver- interpretations of the character in a multiverse kind of way, and I'm totally fine with that. The problem is mainstream audiences getting a Joaquin Phoenix Joker and a Leto Joker within a year of each other or something. They're going to they're, they're gonna lose their minds. Right, because nothing makes a film better than, or a portfolio of films better than a rushed production schedule yeah to try and to try and confuse and capitalize on profitability well and the thing about and the thing about yes and the thing about um the joaquin phoenix version being this noirish sort of street level interpretation of the character that's all fine that sounds great to me as a project but it astounds me that they go after these iterations when they can't get the mainstream one right Mm -hmm. it's like as if the it, it would be like if the warner brothers released superman red sun That'd be a great film. That'd be rad. A Russian Superman. That'd be fantastic. But if they can't get the mainstream Superman right, and they go right into the fringe one, yep. there's a problem. Now, right. I, I say that as an artist who can do the fringe ones much better than the mainstream ones. But, <laughs> but I yeah, know. I just yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a reinforced skeptic on this. Yeah, because. The thing, the projects that you've been a skeptic about in the last year, you've clearly been proven wrong about. Yeah, like the ones we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that just came out today, today was that uh, they're going to do another RoboCop. Did you see that? Yeah. No, no, no. Come on now. Why do you say that? Uh, under Yammy. Well, because the most recent RoboCop. <laughs> Wait, wait, and which which I found really painful because I loved the lead and I loved the premise of it. Yeah, the components it, were great, but the, the components were great, but yeah, the execution the was bad, yeah. right? Which is yeah, yeah. And uh, I think 
I think sometimes Peter Weller gets it right, and he just, we're done. Just now, did declare they, success, and we're done. Well, what we're talking about is Neil Blomkamp re- revealed that he has been greenlit to move forward with a previously secret or not known publicly. Shelved, yeah. Uh, yeah, a shelved Robocop project, and it's going to be t- picking up right after Robocop 1, right? Not 2. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Robocop 2 was the one that had the better exploding at 209s, right? Like all the malfunctioning yes. ones. Yeah, which, yeah. I, which to me is the most important part of any Robocop movie is the malfunctioning security droids. But anyway, so the implication, because he keeps posting photos of the original Robocop, is that Weller's coming back. Have they con- have they confirmed that? I have not seen that. Yeah. All right. But, well, but do, do, do you have a little, bins, a little sense of deja vu here? Yes. Because um, Neil yes. seems to find himself in these situations where yes. uh, he gets inserted into the timeline of a movie well, series, right? And and then gets really engrossed and enthralled in it, and then gets screwed. Uh, gets screwed. Well, maybe except Alien, he came to them. Right, but I mean, I, I understand that. I understand that. But they there must have and been he did a positive. Di- it, there was a positive dialogue from both sides. Totally, saying, this totally. looks good. And you take a look at all. Of and Ridley Scott totally, yeah, completely blew it up. Totally him, blew it but, up. But like, there's hope if that one day fuck we up my series, that. it's going to be me, goddammit. And, <laughs> and we loved it anyway. Yeah, but, and just wait. But just wait. Look at how bad I'm going to fuck it up. There's like, going to be okay, more giant, you win. More yeah, giant Jesus is to come yeah. before we actually get Neil Blunkham's version, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But you're it's right. A, you're right. He, his, his, his thing seems to be taking his stylistic eye and applying it to resuscitating genre films right. that we're nostalgic about and then getting screwed at on you know before it ever sees the light of day right now that said and, i'm excited about the possibility yes absolutely and i'm a big fan of neil yeah uh and uh even elysium right so yeah, me too and i love elysium is, <laughs> that's it's kind of funny that we're this is a guy whose productions have been almost entirely uh about cybernetics and robotics and everything else and every time you, <laughs> you start to have a real opinion you want to express an opinion about blanc out you're like and <laughs> you go you go robot on the recording see? See? well of course there you go he uh his uh internet elves are out there our uh, podcast is like the elysium of well anyway <laughs> it could have been something great until <laughs> it, until the magical medical pods came down that was a perfectly fine film. Right. But I, so here's, here's a bigger concern I have. Why doesn't Neil feel empowered to do his own stuff? And especially something like a, like a follow-up to district nine. Okay. okay. And, and I, I would be, I would no. be much more excited yes. to see something like that because to me, and I know we've talked about this before, district nine is one of my top 10 yeah. sci-fi films period. Yeah. It is. It, it was just phenomenal. My so thing is he needs to back he developing away. his own stuff. He needs to stop doing coke on the <laughs> coffee table of his rock star pals because Chappie could have been a great film except for and, – and I like those guys, but man, that was such a masturbatory exercise. Well, yeah, yeah and, and it, it was a dog's breakfast again. It, it, it really was, was. It was just a mishmash of nonsense. But there were components. You saw that, that there was like maybe 40 minutes of something in there that was really cool, right? Yeah. And then yeah. all of the – the in-your-face, on-the-nose bullshit just completely tanked it. But if you yeah. pull, if you strip all that celebrity stuff away and you just go back to his roots, yeah, right. He's so you've seen his shorts, right? Those Unity shorts, yeah. Oh, man. But so me, if you can make a story behind that, I would love it. Those are hauntingly good. I agree, but I'm I'm hoping that 
we're going to see a renaissance in Neil in his trajectory, much like uh, Guillermo, right? Yep. That Guillermo had a phase, right, where it was ungood, <laughs> right? Yeah, and you know, um, but yet he pulled Shape of Water together with somehow. a rehash right. somehow using a, a rehash of a plastic suit from Hellboy yeah. and as the main character and you know with the same guy and winning it. an Oscar. With the same guy in it. With the same guy. <laughs> and it's like it's like, huh? How that was like a Hail Mary blindfolded in yeah. a blizzard. And it it was magnificent. It was stunning. Um and so I'm hoping and it was his own thing. Right, and the and he had great source material. The book is incredible. Uh, the premise is sound. The human story is what drove it, not the special effects. Sure. And and so to me, that, that was the great thing about District Nine. It the the interplay and the social context and the the, yeah, the human yeah. story behind it is what drove that movie and made it so good. Absolutely. And it just happened to occur in this context. And um, yeah, so I really hope Neil, if you're out there listening to us, got your back. But man. Meet me halfway. <laughs> with the unity, with all those unity shorts, which I appreciate are just a, you know, a proof of concept for the gaming engine. But, but you know, the from the design standpoint, that his his, mm-hmm. his people that were working on that, you know how I feel about robots with ceramic human faces, right? I am this clo- I am this close. My fingers are right close together. I am this close to putting the geisha bot on my body as a tattoo from Ghost in the Shell, right? I love that style. What if your video came back? Your video came back just to <laughs> my frown? My video came back to nod my head. <laughs> How dare you. I'm going to stop your video right now. Speaking of stopping you and your video, we never even got to the sucking the monkey segment. Your enthusiasms were mine. My enthusiasm dwarfed. Just came right through. So you're having, what, you're having a Chardonnay? Uh, I'm having Chardonnay. Are you in the uh, in the classy style? Or you have ice in it? No, I'm not doing Reuniti on ice. Reuniti on ice. So, so nice. I'm having, I'm having a delicious margarita. Not surprising you or anybody else who knows me. It's sort of my 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 daily thing, but I'm having it with uh with a with a with a with a brown tequila this time instead of a clear, and I'm having it um, with a lot of spice in the salty rim. I was going to notice it looked it looked kind of a blood letter salt. Oh yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. It's delicious in every way. Um, but in the interest of keeping this uh, podcast from dipping under the drink like uh, DiCaprio and Titanic, I'm having one of them. So we're good. Um, uh, that, that's interesting. That, that's interesting that you chose that <laughs> <laughs> as your point to metaphor. <laughs> that's great. Well, another another creator that had some real promise and then sank himself with his own hubris. James Cameron? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that said... Uh, I have a couple quick notes on other things that have been kind of bouncing around before we dive in. Um, one is, these are random bits, okay? You ready for some miscellaneous bits? I'm always ready for miscellaneous bits. All right. Um, I was talking to someone. Well, I'm going to skip that one. That's weird. Okay, here's it. here it is. Uh, the <laughs> now, first... now you put that filter All right, on. I'm going to put... All right, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll talk about it. Um, I was at a show, and we were talking about my... I have prints of i have two different versions of olivia wilde as what's her name in tron right i was taken by that costume i was taken by her what, olivia munn olivia wilde did i say Munn? wait let's focus on wild olivia wilde okay okay tron legacy super cool suit super yep. cool haircut 
sitting on a couch, whatever. Loved it. So did two different prints of that. And I was talking to someone about uh, how much I liked her in that film and how I was disappointed that they killed the sequel to it. And the quote that I had to write down was the person said to me, she's not hot enough to be an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Which really made me wonder how hot do you have to be to be, to have anti-vaxxing uh, tendencies be acceptable in the conversation? That is, that is fascinating. <laughs> I thought it was really great. I don't even, that, that, is, a gob, that is a gobsmacker. I don't even it know is. how you respond to that. Like, uh, it huh? is. Right. Zoe Saldana? Like, is that okay? We did that. Uh, is she an anti-vaxxer? No, of course not. She's got a brain. Okay. So um, here's another miscellaneous tidbit that I wrote down. Um, I was thinking about... Garrett so, Hedlund is an anti-vaxxer? No. Is he? He might be. No. Yeah, he's, he's beautiful enough. So, uh, Sophia Butella, right, from Kingsman yeah. and Mummy and a few other things. Um, I stumbled into... I don't remember how it happened. Oh, I, hmm, I don't remember how I found this out, but it was when I was in Indonesia and I was Googling some stuff, uh, preparing for talking about Kingsman. And I discovered that she had a prior career as a hip hop dancer in France. Did you know that? No, I did not. You, you, the best of it is if you, if you Google, um, Sophia Batella Nike and you'll get, um, a couple of commercials that they shot when like long form commercials, they shot of her dancing around. It's that, it's that um, in that type of hip hop dancing where it's uh, it's stage dancing. You know what I mean? It's like a performance. Yeah. But she's incredibly strong and lithe, and it's nuts. And if you see, if you go back, she was on some of those shows, like those. So you think you can dance twenty three or whatever, right? Like she was in those. That's how she came up was doing mm-hmm. these things. And there are many videos online of her doing just just really incredible stuff, like jumping onto her. She's on her. You know, she's upside down doing like a somersault with her legs flying all over the place. And she's just really strong upper body, which you still see. Well, you still see that in her today in terms of her, like her, the structure of her shoulders and stuff. But um, I had no idea. No idea. I didn't even know she was French. But there you go. So that's a thing. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. I have, an, oh, I have another thing for you. Just okay. accept them and we'll move on. So here's another thing for you. I was thinking about Cara G, who's the actress who plays drummer on Expanse. Mm-hmm. One of your favorites and mine. You know, I like that actress, mm-hmm. and I really like her performance. And I was curious which that what that actress was actually like, so I started checking out like interviews and stuff that she did. And she's a Canadian actress. She's did interviews for like smaller, uh, you know, broadcast television things that she's done, and a few other small Canadian movies and stuff. She has n- her accent's nothing like that character. She has she has a very flat, almost almost accentless voice. It's a little bit higher pitched. So she's yeah. affecting that cool, weird, guttural grotto, you know, sort of that 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 belter voice is is by design, which made me love her like a thousand times, three thousand times more. I agree, I, but I think they probably have a uh, coach. Yeah, sure. For but, all the actors that are the belters to get that patois down. And I, oh, and absolutely, I think and they do an incredible job of it. But job. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I was just wondering what I didn't even know her pitch was different. Like, it was interesting to hear her talk normally. And she's a nut, She's like an octave higher than that. Normally, the way she talks. Yeah. See, I, I would have picked her as like some Hungarian or Croatian. Oh, well, I thought she sounds like. That, uh, yeah, I think she I thought she sounded like a Southeast Asian or Singaporean um, like auntie. <laughs> like, like like it has a deeper voice, but it, there's there's a crack to the voice. Anyway, 
from Paul Mall unfiltered. Yeah. Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. Um, we don't endorse that here on this. On no, we show. do not. I do endorse Cara G, though, let me tell you. And when we get around to finishing up our conversations about Expanse, which we must, um, we'll spend a good five hours on her. Now we, uh, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Stop it. I know. Don't be but, rude. Uh, no. Here's another comment, miscellaneous bit. Uh, I wrote this probably in the haze of a drunken hour, but Avengers Infinity War should have been called the Snapture. The Snapture. Because mm-hmm. it's like the Rapture, but he snapped. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's interesting. It was amazing. It was an amazing epiphany. I can't believe you don't yeah. support it. Like, they got to do the uh, the whole Robert Downey Jr. I'm going to snap you back. Oh, you son of a bitch. Quick thunder. You're snap w- you back. You're w- <laughs> Moving on up. You're, de- <laughs> you're deconstructing my sweet statement, and you're making it meta, and I don't appreciate it. I'm sorry. So here's another one. I have another miscellaneous comment. Tony Stark did not have Sokovia prior authorization to engage the Black Order in Infinity War. In other words, he didn't have the Security Council saying, yeah, there's some crazy shit. Go. Correct. Go fight. But actually, actually, that, that whole permissions process was not anywhere in Infinity War. And I really hope that they get to that some point. Not that he broke protocol, but that it is specifically the environment that Cap was talking about. That things happen faster than you can sit around and have a political process behind whether whether or not you're allowed to deploy. Sometimes you just have to act. Now, granted that the majority of Infinity War was things happening to them, so it was more defensive. But regardless, it wasn't even touched on. And well, it wasn't. And, and in fact, uh, but I think that's going to set up probably, you know, after math of it, just like they did for when they first introduced it. Right. Yeah. It was after the fact. Yeah. That the that they tried to right? put the reins on it. Yeah, right. no, but they, they tried to put the reins on it. Like, and if there's, if, but when half of the earth disappears into vapor, um, you can probably understand that they'll probably be a little more lenient. Here's my last and final miscellaneous comment, also related to Infinity War. Um, Kevin Feige was asked in an interview, one of those fan interviews, uh, whether Thanos's supposed. Uh, uh, sustainability uh, mandate when he did his you know half dies thing whether it applied to certain types of sentient life or whether it was all life and Feige said all life so I, I, I enjoyed that because among all the other fallacies behind his the logic of his of his behavior he was it destroying he, he, he drew yeah he destroyed entire ecosystems right like probably every planet that he touched died right you're down to one breeding pair yeah algae's uh, died was, yeah right. like <laughs> right. black rhino's gone yeah right yeah but i you mean know. yeah but get it right down to the you know get it down to Unicorns, the basic building blocks uh, of basic building blocks of life right right it, you know if 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 more than half of it i mean i don't know how they didn't think about this stuff in any great detail i don't think but you know if he's if he's chopping half of the of any viable uh um you know species which half is he getting and you know he's he's darwin would be flipping right right he's just gonna kill all those species and then the food chain's destroyed as well and then you know yeah but it also brings up an interesting point that they meant all lives does that include celestials yes that's a good question and also uh does it reach into other planes Hmm. right and and multi and universes multiple planes yes All all right Dimensions, and so you know, I can imagine the Celestials bringing out a can of whoop ass on Thanos, right? Yes, I want big giant Celestials 
floating along and not saying anything and having really weird Kirby heads, man. I totally want that. Oh, man, that would be so great. <laughs> and they a big green even, hand. A yeah. big green hand that holds a spaceship. Yeah, they, you know, they can't. They couldn't even make Galactus make sense. They made Galactus into a fart cloud. Give it a purple filter, man. That, that again, was a rush production schedule with very poor execution by a really uh, well-meaning but ill-informed studio. Uh, so I, yes. Like every incarnation of Dr. Doom. Every incarnation of Dr. Doom. Um, I was struck when we were waiting for Ant-Man to begin and they were doing that, you know, the curated content at the the Alamo and they were showing various like, like old, there wasn't enough to draw from for Ant-Man. So they were just showing old Marvel, like cheeky Marvel stuff. And they're showing stuff from that old Fantastic Four film that they did just to have the rights, right? Remember that horrible thing? And I remember thinking, gosh, that Doctor Doom is better than the ones we got. (laughs) No, way better. Way better. Uh, So I gave you some homework. Do you recall? Yes, I do. Do you recall they gave you homework? Um, uh, So here, I'm going to ask you one of those questions, and here it is. Here it is. Um, Blake. Born again Blake Simmons. Mm -hmm. In the wake of Infinity War... Yes. In the continuity that we currently have before we get the films that are in the past and then we get the new and post-Infinity War Avengers film that's maybe going to fix things, if you imagine the world as it might exist where half of everybody disappeared. Mm-hmm. I mean, cataclysmic, right? Trains mm-hmm. going off rails and planes dropping from the sky and nuclear reactors overloading and everybody dying anyway. But in that context... Are there any characters that you can imagine seeing a really sweet solo film about in specifically set at a time right after everybody else disappeared? Someone that's either in the MCU or someone who has not been in the MCU. Right. So to to me, the obvious choice would be Jessica Jones. Mm, Tell me why. Uh, Because you would think that in high urban density areas that the chaos and the mayhem would be magnified in a non-linear way. Yeah. And seeing how uh, they deal with that uh, would be compelling, fascinating, and... Well, it's uh, definitely asymmetric, right? I mean... Yeah. Yeah. There will be people looking for her, looking to her to be doing things much out of her scale. Right, of course. And, um, I mean, Captain Marvel would be the other, but we already got that covered. Sure. Um so that that would be the one, just because I'd like, you know, you could you can also say Daredevil again, mm-hmm. which would be in the same ilk. I wouldn't say Luke Cage. I'd rather I'd rather see Jessica Jones or Daredevil um, put up in that in that kind of context. There are, there could also be a fascinating um, Everyman movie that would it would actually. What if the MCU put out a movie that wasn't focused on superheroes? What oh, if it was? <laughs> Like the Shield agents, or sure. you know, like what that. Agents of that, Shield mostly was what right. damage control could be. Right, sure, right. Yeah. And so, so something like that about how does humanity cope when suddenly all its hero, half of its heroes are gone, and half of their, you know, humanity is gone. I think that would be compelling, and, that, and that's kind of why I, I focused on Jessica Jones or Daredevil because they're the more human side of the superhero spectrum, and they both can move their necks in combat. Easily correct, correct, and they Lightly do, ex- and they do extended shots and stairwells that just are oh, compelling yeah. as heck. Oh yeah. Um, so I thought I was thinking about the fact that the 
the the minute after that happened. It's like the ending of the comic of Watchmen. You're going to say Silver Surfer, aren't you? Nay. So it's like the comic. It's like the comic version of Watchmen, right? Where Ozymandias created that fake alien squid blob and dumped it on Manhattan, and it caused everybody to rally and 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 sort of pull together against their differences and and become unified in their response to the imagined future alien threat. Right? That was Ozymandias' endgame in Watchmen. So I was imagining Earth cracks in half, everybody all these people are dying, there's complete hysteria. Um, with that's gonna come a lot of fear and a lot of um uh resentment and bitterness about supers as is, you know, that's a common theme, right? It's the supers caused this, right? You know, going back to the, you know, the, 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 the earlier uh, nuance of characters like Iron Man, it's like, well, the argument is, well, you were out there being flamboyant and then you brought, and then you encouraged villains to come out of the woodwork and armor up and fight you because you're presenting them that, carrot and and then you have copycats who get hurt and all that other stuff there's all that that ripple effect that in all of these sort of solo super the classic stories. Beowulf syndrome yeah sure sure so there's going to be plenty of people in the wake of infinity war who would be like well clearly because we had people like the avengers running around wantonly destro- destroying new york this is why this happened when in fact it's not right anyway i was imagining this is the perfect way to launch a fantastic four movie yeah yeah Right where they come forward and say, you know, we're going to lead humanity in a positive, science-based, optimistic, you know, vision for the future kind of thing, and that's not about fighting people and punching spandex, but it's about exploration and research and evolution of the species and that sort of thing. All those sort of the far-flung concepts of what made Fantastic Four such an amazing comic when they were really pushing. Right, I think that would be really cool, mm-hmm. and how there would be. There'll be pushback to them, you know. Well, are you just more of the same? Are you, you know, why should we trust a messiah thing? What you know? I I think it'd be really really cool. So I think we agree collectively. We have to agree that mine was the better idea, probably. But no, I brought four characters in, and you only had two. Oh wait, okay. So I could have brought the defenders in. The defenders, right? With or without um, Colleen Wing, without. The, um, well, then I really don't have anything to say about it. Well, okay, fine. Colleen We're going to agree to disagree. Colleen Wing. I know. Yes? They made a, they made a, um, they made a figure set to be sold at San Diego Comic-Con. You know, the, all these exclusives, right? And they did a figure set of the Defenders and, and the, the, the blister pack box is shaped like a subway <laughs> car. And it looks like the subway. And everybody's sitting on the subway. And then, in the, and then the adjacent car at the far end. Danny Rand is sitting like, in the packaging. He's off to one corner and everybody else is on this side, which I loved. And I, and almost as much, I love the fact that Colleen Wing was included in that package. So, oh, so now, now you've got, now you got my uh, mind pan working. Oh. Um, talk, your brain, your so brain pan is filling? Mind pan. It's different than the brain pan. Okay. Um, One's existential, one's physical. I understand. Anyway, what if what if there was the perfect opportunity for an X Men crossover into mm-hmm. the MCU? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That is very interesting to contemplate, especially if it was the New Mutants. Well, what if 
Well, I mean, the the, the elephant in the room with the X Men is the mutant is 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 the mutation thing, and there's been no right. there's been no precedent in the Marvel universe for mutations, let alone mutations back going back in history. Like at this point in time, in that continuity, there's nothing like that. Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about the the Marvel MCU? Yes. Yes. No, no, no. Wait. The uh, experimentations that Hydra did yes. to create Scarlet Witch and right. Quick, not, not right? a mutation. Uh, not a mutation. Well, we don't know. Artificial mutation. Right, but it's a manipulation. Still, You're right. That right, could be. Manip- they, they could be mutant zero. Right. They could right. be. Right. And the same thing with Deadpool. I mean, that that was an induced mutation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Wasn't enough. it? Fair enough. Right. What or, I was thinking or, is, what if, or maybe a transcription factor to turn on that gene that was repressed otherwise. I'll give right. you a transcription factor right now. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll factor wh- your what if, yeah, what if some of the Kirby crackle after the Thanos thing, the Thanos mm-hmm. snap, the snapture, what if that is the spark induced, yeah, that yeah. induces mutants? Yeah, I mean, which is sort of like what they did with Inhumans, which ends up being mutants anyway. But yeah, right. Yep. Okay, we're in agreement. That'd be awesome. Let's do that. Okay. Do you want to talk about a movie, a sweet film that we've seen? And if so, what do you think about maybe a few micro-reviews? You know, a couple of shorties? Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think some short uh, synopsis. Don't go through the plot line. Just go yeah. over general thoughts and impressions. Tell me. Uh, right. We have some a couple of the recent films that... Um, Couple of recent films that we've seen that we haven't had a chance to talk about are Rampage. Rampage? No, I didn't see it. Did you see it? No. Go. Okay. Rampage. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was almost the title of the last last month's podcast, but I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to write, write it. Rampage. Um, so, uh, two films that we were excited about seeing before uh, you know Chris and I went to do those cons that we did last month or this past <laughs> you know several weeks was one was Han Solo, and one was Deadpool. Duh. And uh, yeah, I was but, wondering, do but, you but, wanna... let's, but let's make sure that we don't call it Han Solo; we call it Solo. Solo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bitch. So and then DP two, and then DP two. Let's talk about DP two first. Yes, because I feel like that's going to be more enjoyable. I agree for you. Or at least a, a more less conflict oriented. Less conflict oriented. So you tell me. I want you to tell me what you thought of Deadpool two. Did you? Enjoy I it? I absolutely loved it. It was nuts, right? I thought I thought it was better than DP one, which I thought was impossible. I thought it was impossible, and the fact that they went even more nonlinear in the ridiculous uh, made it even better. And even though they, I I thought some of the plot vehicles and the introduction of Cable and some other things could have been done better. Overall, the integration of all those elements was just amazing, and the fact that they had a middle-aged, normal dude. Jumping out of planes as a superhero, because uh, uh, I, I related to that guy more than anybody else on the screen. Not surprisingly, right? That's ours. I don't have any. Okay, I don't have any. You're in. <laughs> he was just so great. It was so forth wall. I couldn't even stand it. He's just like he's in, right? right? Putting the backpack on or whatever. But no, so, he's in. Yeah, he's I in. thought yeah. I thought that the uh, the cable thing and the, that whole plot was very thematically jarring, given how loosey goosey the whole Deadpool. Yeah. You know, sort of non sequiturs and being really random and obnoxious kind of thing is, and that, but at the same time, that was very wise because to yeah, put, to the, what worked most about the first one was Deadpool, Deadpool being deadpanned against Colossus, and so for in the second one for him and Megasonic be, and Megasonic, and, yeah, but I mean especially 
Because he would just be like, bleh, bleh, I'm farting. And then Colossus would be like, you know, just staring at him with his arms crossed. I, the idea that, I mean, the whole concept of Cable, which is a terrible 90s conceit, but the whole concept mm-hmm. of this, you know, this this Terminator retread, it's so full of angst and pathos and, man, man, you know, my parents are dead. You know, there's no, so no, much the, there. The, no, it was the, great the future sucks. Ha- no, yeah. the, the future sucks, so I'm going to go back in time and make sure the past sucks, too. <laughs> The, that interaction <laughs> with him was so satisfying. Yes, and I did appreciate the fact that they really powered down Cable and they didn't make him the yeah. the the multi pocketed super super creature that they did in the, the Lifefield era stuff. And they mm-hmm. made him a little bit more, you know, downscale. They Broland him, and I loved it. He did a great job. But I mean, so now you've got Broland. Who's doing, owning the Cineplex? Uh, owning the Cineplex. I mean, nobody's talking about the the, the monopoly that Brolin has on really bad evil people uh, in the MCU. Like, who's your go-to person to, to be your supervillain? Well, it's going to be Brolin. We're going to CGI the fuck out of him, but he's our guy, and that's it. And um, Paul Bettany posted a photo a few months ago where he was in some movie lobby, and he t- he took one of those like kind of a kind of a longer shot and there was like one of the cardboard cutouts on one side of the theater was Hans was solo sorry and the other one was Avengers and he's like hey that feeling when you know <clears throat> you're in you're in two of these movies at the exact same time because he's Vision and I don't know Dresden or whatever he was called yeah no dreidel dreidel so yeah I mean <laughs> and, and, uh, and I follow I follow Brolin on Instagram and he's made a few comments about how surreal it is that he's in these movies at the same time but just as an aside, I, I yeah, just, just as an aside, I am delighted that Josh Brolin is finally getting his due in the limelight. Yeah, and because uh, I, I, he's I've liked him since his very early days. What did you? And, what, did, what have you liked most? What, what was your favorite thing that he's done before these two movies? No Country for Old Men. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, and he seemed initially a little miscast, didn't he? Like like when they did the preview for it, and you're like, well, that's interesting. I think I think if you didn't see the movie, you could think it was miscast. But when you see the movie, you're like, there is no one else that could have pulled this off. Well, Hail Caesar, he's he's cast as what you would expect for Brolin, for right. how he Brolin looks and talks thing, and acts. Right, right. And that's why I, I, right, and that's why I didn't like him as much in that movie that I did in No Country. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's never he's always seemed to be the heavier, the one who knows what's going on in right. in No Country. For him to be just be you know scrambling with the suitcase or whatever that 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 was interesting interesting, yeah, interesting choice yeah and, and he had a certain set of skills a certain liam, set of the, skills the, the, so liam we're not stealing from him but um but other than that he was absolutely clueless yeah all right and then he was thrust into the situation and he was trying to do the right thing by you know quote unquote his family but he was just out of his depth right and um i i just really like that journey that his character took and it was I thought his acting was dead on for what was needed in that role I mean the other one would be Sicario mm-hmm. but I haven't seen that um, you should it is a it is a really good film um, from it what I've heard like don't, uh, avoid Sicario too. don't see it but oh, um, really? Sicario yeah it certainly has good posters though <laughs> yes that is such a good indicator of success <laughs> And and filmmaking so quality is really did Sicario two bomb? Yeah, it didn't it didn't bomb, but it's not doing as well as Sicario one. And and uh, there there are a couple of reasons why there are some very important characters in Sicario that are out of Sicario two, and they really made it uh-huh. you know a Benicio 
who's also having a, a renaissance in the Marvel sure. universe. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, they really focus on Brolin and, and Del Toro. So, Blunt was in the first one, and she was killed, right? Before, so she couldn't get in, in the second one. Is that right? I don't remember her being killed. Okay. Well, I just don't want anything to happen to sweet, sweet Emily Blunt. I agree. I don't want her to be in the line of fire and having to deal with you but know, that conf- but so that, conflict. But, but that was a really important point in Sicario. Like, you had all these people watching out for her when, in fact, she was probably the biggest badass of them all. Ooh, okay, I'll watch it then. Yeah. Um, so, with regards to uh, Brolin and Deadpool, one of the things I liked was they made his arm look cool. Yep. They made his TK... Cooler than Colossus's arm, actually. <laughs> they, they made his TK... Not as cool as um, Winter Soldier's arm, though. No, no. They made... Um, they made you... Which we got to talk about sometime, the whole fascination and fixation on amputees in Marvel. we got to get back to Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, well, yeah. well, let's, let's, let's widen that net and make it Disney. Disney had went from amputating entire families and parents to... No, that's a Trump just, administration. Just the, 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 second, the, um, the second movie, <laughs> the second, yeah, the second movie uh, um, limb decapitation, or, uh, you know, amputation in yeah. all the Star Wars films, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, that's not really Disney, but, you know. But it, it is now. It is now. Yeah. So we can we can lay the blame on their feet. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I liked that his TK was downscaled because that's always mm-hmm. been a thing. Um, I liked that he was very confident, but I liked that he wasn't super big. Although it was a little jarring at first because you're expecting him to be this this monstrous guy, and then he's kind of mm. um, right. Because uh, I remember him like being like eight foot tall, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because he was just wish fulfillment fantasy for a guy who couldn't draw feet. Um, wow. But it's true. But uh, also, uh, uh, so okay. So let's just all right. Let's hit a but, couple but of these it, things. What can, you, can I follow? No. Sorry, can I follow up on one point that you made? Okay, fine. So t- just like the whole smartassiness of Deadpool, right, and how mm-hmm. it's also loosey goosey and frenetic and kinetic, yeah. and really doesn't seem to be able to focus even when he has a team around him. Which, are, by the way, the supporting cast and what they assembled around Ryan Reynolds was. Oh, man. De- just perfect. Fucking great. Um, this was a backdoor pilot to, or just a precursor to X Force, right? Right. But um, that's kind of the point. A Deadpool, right? That he's just an entropy agent, right, and yet, right. and, and yet still, <laughs> right. and yet still, he's able to go against all the odds and you know pull something out of some orifice and save the day. And, but he's most interesting when his shit isn't getting to the people around him. Like it's most interesting when the people around him compensate, like they're not, they're not having it. So Mm -hmm. he's not, he's not able to get under their skin. Right. Right. Like make a sonic rolling your eyes at every time. Right. 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 When they're reacting to him, like what, you know, that's not, that's like, okay, now that's just the readers of the first five issues in the nineties. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the, the context where people are like, yeah, yeah calm down let's right. focus that makes him better as a character but also makes him more watchable mm-hmm. otherwise it's really boring it's like watching you know uh what's his name elliot gould no and stand up elliot gould no i was gonna say um dane cook it would be like s- sitting around with dane oh. cook in a room for too long oh. Oh. <laughs> you just described my definition of hell same skin by the way oh i'm sorry what yeah He's got a lot of pockmarks on it. 
So okay. Oh, so I know that was, that was rough. So okay. So um, back to sensitivity training. What did what did you think about the fact that they went straight for the fridging with um, with Deadpool's girlfriend, Mona, Monica Baccarin's character? It, it, uh, utterly predictable. Annoying. Yeah, I thought it was a cop out. It was. They 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 fourth walled it about the frame framing of it, but at the same time they used it for exactly what they were making fun of. Right, I mean, and and to me it was actually a violation of a lot of the core motivations for Deadpool in DP One, mm-hmm. that he was trying to maintain the normalcy and the humanity, and and that connection there, and that was what he was trying to retain and and maintain. And now, right, it just got thrown to the wind. Well, to me, you know, I did. I did feel it. I mean, there have been a lot. Yeah, of, yeah. There have been a lot of, you know, you know. At this point, you, I don't know how many Batman parents you can kill. I don't care, right? But well, but the, in the, that's, they are legion and they are everywhere. Yes, but in this, you know, when that happened to her, I felt really bad. Like I bought it when he was just that moment where he's like, "Wait, I can't. My bullshit doesn't prevent doesn't work everywhere. Doesn't work everywhere." Yeah. Um, in that sense, I I was very entertained by that. I like that part of it. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But then again, at the same time, even playing with the even playing with the the conceit that the that you can use a, a sonic screwdriver or whatever it is in the in the post credits and just fix everything or change everything, while it was sort of whimsical and fun, you know, I don't know. It's a, no, that's a total. I mean, it's a, it's what I'm afraid we're going to see in Infinity War two. <laughs> yep, just just uh, wave a magic wand and everything's back to normal. I'm really hoping that what it is is a time shunt or a multiverse shunt. So we're going to go back to a pure version of these characters where they make different decisions. Something like well, that. And, and that's what they kind of fed into um, with Age of Ultron, right? That everybody kind of glossed over. Um, but right. all those scenes that they had when they were under Scarlet Witch's mental mm-hmm. weave, right? Like, yep. they all went through this different reality phase. Well, most of them, right? Right. Except for Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye, because he was so strong to mental attack. No, anyway, except for, yeah, except for when he's not, right? Yeah, except for, you the know... entire first Avengers movie. Yeah, well, or, you know, everything since. Anyway, yes. the... Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like you're attacking Jeremy Renner, the actor. No, it's it's all about Hawkeye. All right. Right. Um... He's got arrows, man. He's got a lot of arrows. He's got a lot of arrows, but the quiver runs dry, and when it does, it's sad. When the, the quiver um, runs dry... Okay, I'm going to write that down. When the quiver runs dry, it's quiver. sad. <laughs> That's a candidate for a podcast title right there. It's not even related to the <laughs> content of the podcast, but when the quiver runs dry, that's pretty amazing. We can say that for solo. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. The, um, anyway. The, uh, but they had a lot of the, that elements in there, right? They went into different realities. They saw a different past. They saw a different um, constructs. Even as we found out for Thor Ragnarok, um, it went into a space that was alarming but was not actual. Mm-hmm. And so that, that kind of um, translation element to it, I think they've established. I don't know if anybody remembers it, but it, it is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's what will be really interesting is when we see when we talk about Ant-Man and Wasp, we really should see what the uh, quantum realm has in store for that. Okay, but before we do that, right, right, right. let's yeah. talk about what's most important about Deadpool. 
and that is Zazie Beats. <laughs> the Zazie Beats. Yes. Holy moly. Talk about screen charisma where it just sucks the air out of the room in the right way. Yes. She walks in in the interview, amazing interview sequence, right? Just Which was uh, amazing, backwards and forwards. From mm-hmm. Storm, from not Storm Shadow, whatever the hell is, whatever he's called. But Shatterstar. To, Shatterstar, yeah. Yeah, to, 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 to the regular guy. What was his name? Phil something? What was his name? Deal? No. No. Uh, We're not prepared. We're not prepared. Yeah. Not prepared. Um, yeah, that guy. I follow him on on uh, Twitter. You know, they have a they have a Twitter account for him, which is, it's amazing. It's completely mundane, but anyway, here's my dog. Here's my cat. Yeah, no, it's even worse. But so, she, but she just completely owned every scene that she was in. Mm-hmm. And her just, en- just her, like Valkyrie and Thor Ragnarok. That's right. Her her in, her enthusiasm and her and sort of a little bit of her whimsy about things that are happening. Her confidence, but not bravado. She looked no, but, rad. Yeah, but she did. She dominated the scenes by being understated. Exactly. Right. I and, and should have stayed in college. You know, like it's very, yeah. That that that's out Ryaning Ryan. Yeah, and there was some really great um, cinematography related to her character, like yes. the whole thing about how she's so lucky that things, like that whole like falling, you know, falling, and then she's kind of spiraling through the air, falling through her death, and then there's a giant inflatable, you know panda which is the same colors as her black and white imagery in the comics you know it's right under her to land on or that thing where she's like walking in the i don't remember what her line was i think about how you know how this is boring whatever and then this car's flipping right over her head at the moment that she's <laughs> saying like she was just like every scene she was in all i wanted was more of that yeah but to me it's also the same thing in the first movie with uh, uh the bartender um mm-hmm. tj miller P.J. Miller, who's having his own little uh, drama right now. He may or may yeah. not be, yes. Yes, he may or may not be. But the, that way of having an understated uh, foil mm-hmm. to the overtopness of Deadpool was, and the way that they played off of each other, right? Right, right. It was, they, they just kind of translated a different element of that interaction into that dialogue and, and those interactions, which I just thought that that's the power of, you know, Laurel and Hardy, right? And, yeah. and 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 now you're bringing it together in these different manifestations, and it's just well, but it's um, but the time on our tradition is the, the straight the straight guy or the straight character is being lampooned by the wild one. The right. wild one is 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 making the straight one feel square. Right. And what I like about this, and and she's not the only character in that film that does this, but what I like is when the straight character does not seem second fiddle to the loon. Right. Um, and it also and it also underscores that. Deadpool is just a fucking lunatic entropy agent. How much? How great was it when he was racing along on a Vespa? I mean, that's out of the comics, <laughs> but the, the visual imagery of him on a red Vespa was yeah. hilarious. And his only, launch onto the truck, and he misses the landings. Of boom, you know. Yeah, but it's a it's it's one of the brilliant aspects of it that he is he has a capacity to just be a royal muck up. Mm-hmm. Right and and be completely off the mark and right. still come back and save the day. The only thing better than Deadpool one that I thought is if the taxi driver is actually an Uber driver, <laughs> and right and <laughs> yeah. like he's an insurance salesman or yeah. like a, a nurse in training or something that's just like totally out of the depth. Um, but he's it was great. Uh, I love him. Yeah. So uh, I was a little bummed that Negasonic didn't have a bigger role, although huge marks in my view 
for her and her girlfriend in the movie while he made comments about the fact that they were lesbians mm-hmm. it was not a plot point and it was just like rolling with it it was normal and that and to me that's that that's the there's some of the most important you know on screen roles for you know anything other than complete straight old school relationships is yeah. when it's not the uh, the subject matter of the thing and it's just it's just it is what it is it's reality i really like that about that those two characters and how it was portrayed i love the deadpool i really thought it was funny that deadpool was all into like instantly pals with her girlfriend like hey you know like that was strange and weird and fun no because he wants to he wants to get the dirt on negasonic yeah but i man i wanted more negasonic and how cool was it that she went from the buzz cut which made her so badass the first time to a morrissey style pompadour in this one man she looks so dope yeah she was just really cool but i think they i hope that they have bigger plans for that character yeah i hope so too yeah. Right. And uh, but what I also think what was great is that, as you were saying about that relationship, he picked on everyone equally across the board. Yeah. And it didn't matter what they were doing or who they were involved with or anything it like it. He, right. Right. And and this is just uh, another normal aspect of life that he's going to make fun of because that's just what he does. But it was great that he wasn't pushing any buttons like it didn't right. work. It didn't matter. Right. Negasonic right. was over him from the beginning. But not in the way that is like you're an irritation, but more like just like yeah, whatever. You're like someone's little brother, right? Right. And you and, know, and, and and everything you say is hot gas. Yeah. And and I'm and also I mean you know frankly I mean this is this is right on the heels of the latest Scarlett Johansson or Johansson uh, cultural contra- appropriation cultural yeah. appropriation controversy. But I I think I appreciate the fact that Brianna Hildebrandt lives that life, right? That yeah, she identifies yeah. as bisexual or lesbian and. And so she gets to play a, an empowering and interesting character like that within the mainstream supers world and at the same time is living her best life and people who follow her on Instagram or Twitter or whatever talk to her at conventions and stuff can, you know, can be empowered by that. I think that's great. I mean, right. you know, so, so, so when, when, when the... Hollywood just casts whoever's popular and makes puts them in these roles when there are plenty of viable, you know, legit people of those persuasions who are not getting... I mean that's more of the Scarlett Johansson world, but yeah, I mean they're not even getting that chance. Yeah, yeah but it, it's it's not just Scarlett. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, it, it, it goes on and on and on yeah. and on. Yeah. Um, and we, we we it would be interesting to have that as a sidebar conversation down the line. But it it is it is great to see that kind of embracing of that aspect of community, especially in these times, and and make it normal. It was not patronizing. No, it was it was real. Right. Right. It just was was what it was. Yeah, I enjoyed the guy, the little Kiwi guy that was playing, um, you know, the the cipher for hope from the comics. Mm-hmm. Who he was, who Cable was going after the whole time, and you know, he was a really interesting car- uh, casting choice. Yeah, I agree in so many ways. Yeah, he was a gr- he was a good actor, and he was interesting to watch how he acted and how he talked and everything else. But just his, you know, once again, he is not fitting any Hollywood ideal for how. You know, some guy of his age is supposed to look, and you know, he's just kicking ass that whole film. I loved it. Well, the, the, to me, that again underscores the power of Marvel mm-hmm. is that it takes these folks that could very easily be labeled as outcasts and undesireds, right? Undesirables, and yep. and elevates them like in a way that is very powerful, right? Yep. And and to me, that is the biggest differentiation between. DC and Marvel mm-hmm. as a relatability to it, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to go mm-hmm. sacrifice a, a, a rat on the altar of Athena, great. 
but if you if, if you really want to tap into that common experience that's the best way to do it and i think it, it's also amazing that marvel has been able to find these child actors you know across the spectrum so much better than star wars I just uh-huh. don't even get it. Like, I, wh- where are they going to to find these folks? Because we need to tell Star Wars where to go. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> go point. to some Marvel casting rooms and, for God's sakes, um, stop what you're doing. I really liked um, I liked how they handled Shatterstar because I love that they embraced the absurdity of the 90s yeah. comics yeah. world in which yeah. Cable was born and they were playing with an X-Force character that was straight out of the same... Uh, brain pan, as you yeah. said earlier, as 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 Deadpool, because Deadpool's absurd and is a '90s absurd character, and Shatterstar was like, you know, that much more the nth degree ridiculous. And what I liked about him was that he was comic correct, with mm-hmm. his white suit and that weird puffy face shield and the hair and his. And in the trailers, they show him with his absurd double sword, but yeah, know, two, two 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 blades, one handle, uh, which they didn't show in the in the movie, but. Um, you know, Thank, I, you I just and his and his bravado too. It just everything about yeah. it just cracked me up. Yep. And so I hope I hope that they take the same approach to handling Gambit. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that would be so great. If, right. And 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 with Channing Tatum playing him too, I can see right. the uh, I can see the um, the self deprecation of him being like thinking he was the shit and no one else thinking he was the shit. Yeah, that would be actually like, really yeah. great. And so that that's kind of like the Channing Tatum and Twenty One Jump Street. That yep. would be yep. great now, to see, right? So now um, I'm now I'm interested in a Gambit movie, man. Yeah, I had no interest before that, but now, holy shit, man! Can they pull it off? No, they can't. <laughs> they can't pull it off. Um, no, so, we'll see. We'll see. It has to be better than X, uh, X and Origins Wolverine. That version of Gambit yes. was just. I didn't Steven even see Pyle. that. Movie. I didn't oh. even see it. I couldn't do it. You, 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 you made a wise choice. I made the solo choice of avoiding a terrible movie. And speaking of so, piles of excrement, let's so, go to that. No, no. So, but um, <laughs> how great was the scene when X Force was deployed? That was pretty cool. I mean, I, prepared for anything, I was still surprised by that scene. It, it, it you know what? <laughs> in all honesty, it was way better than any X Men deployment. It was. It was right. So it, it was. It, and it actually, was I'd even say better than the Avengers deployment. Yep. It was. It was really well done. And that, that's the other thing that I got to give hat, hats off to the Deadpool crew. Is when they really need to do it, and they they pull out all the stops, they probably do it better than anyone else in the MCU. But to have uh, them all immediately go dropped into a meat grinder was hilarious. I know, that's the brilliance of it. And uh, the the cameo with Brad Pitt was hilarious. I love that. <laughs> you know, I yeah, I don't know if, if actually Brad Pitt made a cameo or if he was just walking through the studio and just unwittingly walk into that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can you- can you stand here? What, man? Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I can see Ryan, like, pranking Brad Pitt like he did Hugh Jackman. Like, hey, I hear Brad Pitt's going to be on the studio. Let's, let's, you know, do this. And uh, you saw that, right, when Ryan Reynolds interrupted the, the birthday celebration with Hugh Jackman? The, uh, the marketing, all of that weird viral marketing for this film has been practically more interesting than the film itself. Hmm. Wolverine. <laughs> um, anything else about this movie that we want to discuss? I mean, flippy trains or flippy trucks was cool, and no, no, I, I guess Smash my question is cool. My, my question is, where do they take it from here? Mm, 
Well, they're not going to because the next one will be X Force with a different creative team, but they're but they're obligated to have some aspect of the same sort of lunacy in it, or else it won't feel genuine. So it'll be interesting to see if what's his name who's doing the X Force movie will be able to sort of pull that pull off. it off. Yeah, um, I like the fact thinking back on it, with the exception of Juggernaut in the third act, which I really enjoyed. Um, well, really yeah, that that was that was. Thank God for redemption of Juggernaut. Right? That and the whole, you know, they were playing so fast and loose with continuity and whether things are in timeline or not and all that. When he, when he, the fact that he's fourth wall referencing two different versions of actors playing Picard, or uh, sorry, uh, Xavier, but at the same time walks into the mansion and the whole X-Men cast are in that room and they close the door as he goes by. Everything, all those little details are what feed me on that film. Yeah. Right? just bumping his way in the chair down the corridor, knocking things off the walls and all the references that you see. That's what makes it. And the fact that you would have all those people who presumably were filming the uh, Dark Phoenix film at the time that they mm-hmm. did that. But the fact that they would all be willing to be in the movie and be like, and and just and play that as a cameo was great. Mm-hmm. But you do think that Deadpool is going to be fully integrated in X-Force and not do a solo feature again? Oh, he might, but I think the next one will be X-Force and yeah, yeah. And there, yeah. The, the the challenge will be: is it more of the Deadpool show, or is it? Do they find a way to expand the narrative to be it, that it is a composite? Because they've already made it that the people around him um, elevate him. So, what will it be when the whole subject of the film is the group? Well, I hope had, it's, it... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say we have films like in the Marvel world where it's named after a guy. But then it's a bunch of people. It's basically an Avengers movie, Captain America movies that are really Avengers like, movies, like, like Civil War. Yeah, which was yeah. which is great. But again, this is the inverse of that. This is like would be like saying we're going to have an Avengers movie and it's all about the trials and tribulations of Hawkeye, right? So I don't know. Well, Let's yeah, see. we know that's not going to happen. The, um... It's on house arrest. <laughs> I like. Yeah, the fact, it'll, it'll yeah. be interesting because I, I think. Um, well, I'm I'm of uh, many minds on that. Many minds. Yeah. How's your mind pan on it? I think Deadpool actually, to me, even in the comics that I read growing up, he was best when he was doing his own thing. Yeah, right. And a, and a solo artist. Um, and so it'll be very interesting to see if they're they're able to change that. Well, the the, the in in Deadpool two, the creation of X Force, although the name and the reason that he gave it the name and the Xing of his arms and everything was. That was, but that was brilliant. Yeah, but the the conceit of him creating this group to do a thing was very fabricated and very obviously fabricated, and it was fine. But to make an X Force movie work, I feel like it's got to be the opposite direction. I feel like there's got to be some reason why he has to be on the team. Mm -hmm. He knows a thing, or he's directly, you know, you know, you know, Deadpool's got to be here, or else the hostage dies. You know, there's got to be some reason that he's involved. So that he's the entropy point that's trying to spin off and be irresponsible, mm-hmm. and the rest of the team is dragging his ass along with them and trying to pull it together. He's well, the, it, he's it, the one that had too many happy hour drinks, but we've got a long night ahead. Right? Well, it could be it could be something like Logan, right? Where the, he's he's the strongest dude in the room, right? Character wise, but somehow his superhero oomph is gone. There and the fact four, there are four lights. Yes, but the fact that his powers were triggered, mm-hmm. maybe there is something that takes them back. Mm-hmm. 
and right. maybe and maybe that's why he needs to be part of X Force. I'm just you know throwing plot lines out there, but that would be one of the obvious ones, right? Well, the other thing I liked, another thing I liked about uh, Deadpool two, and this also relates to another movie we're going to talk about, which is there wasn't really a villain in the film, and I really enjoy when you don't have the rote villain. Cable yeah. wasn't the villain; he was a conflict agent, and it was an antagonist, but with different agenda items. But it really wasn't a villain, and even Juggernaut wasn't a villain in the film. It was just again, Correct. again it was a boss to get past. Um, that whole movie didn't really have a villain. It was can I change fate or whatever? Can I change things in such a way that it's, that it solves a certain number of problems? And so to me, that was really refreshing because, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing that right on the, right, right after seeing things like justice league, right? Where it was the most rote, it was the most rote and boring mega villain versus superhero story that we've had yet. Well, no. And, and it was even, it was in compounded further that after they resuscitated soup, that it was game over. Like it wasn't even a contest. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, Superman flying back into the reactor, like, is this guy still bothering you? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing in the background, cause we have our video off, but it sounds like you're furiously sharpieing on like a whiteboard or something, which of course, by the way, they don't wash off. And I'm just been imagining you doing like super bad, just doing dicks. Oh my god! Actually, I'm, I'm watching talking. Justice League. That's on the background on HBO right now. Oh, I see. So you are yeah. watching Dick. I don't know. I am drawing dicks on a whiteboard. So speaking, speaking, speaking of here, I'm uh, gonna, I'm gonna go turn this off. Uh, I swear to you, I'm not doing anything weird. <laughs> there is that better. It is. Speaking of doing things that are weird, despite your protestations, you still went and saw a movie called Solo. And, and before, I went alone. In the months leader, <laughs> in the months leading up to this, yes, in the months leading up to this, you were an you were a strong uh, voice decrying the project and how there was no way they were going to pull it off and it was lame in every way. And I was yep. being an optimist. Yeah. Um, I went and saw it. I had tickets to the Alamo to see it with my wife when I got back from Indonesia. But then it came out the day. It came out the day before I left, and I got someone at the concierge to get me tickets to the opening night. So I went you know packed and everything and then i went out into the torrential rain to get to this theater to see it in on its opening night in indonesia which meant that i beat everybody in the states because indonesia was one of the countries that was getting it the same launch day as the united states when everyone else had to wait but -hmm. because of the time zones i was ahead right so i i beat you but also what i beat you with was watching a movie (laughs) where i was really trying to imagine what american audiences were going to be making of this because when i saw deadpool in Indonesia, people, you know, there. I was surrounded by a sea of women, many of them in burkas, that were smiling and, you know, very modestly laughing a little bit. Um, Bahasan subtitles, but, you know, really... Um, With the really, little double dildo jokes. Yeah, yes. really raucous, but they didn't edit it to the point where... They really didn't edit it, to be honest with you. And, but they seemed to be really enjoying it. When I saw Solo, it was a quiet room... And it was not all full on opening night, and people were mostly just staring at it. And I couldn't get a sense culturally. There was such a divide; I couldn't decide whether people liked it or not. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't like there was cell phone illumination the whole time. But I just couldn't. I couldn't get a vibe from the room was whether it was successful or not. Mm-hmm. Now, your experience—you came into an empty theater, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Justice League, right? Didn't that happen to you? With no, Justice that, that League? was so. That was Mauritius. Mauritius. Uh, Justice League. 
Yeah, and I never felt more connected to the Mauritian population than I did that night. <laughs> I wish I had not shown up. I wish I had not shown up. So, what, the, um, so what was the case when you went to see Solo? Like, like you say, I've never felt more connected to the Indonesian population than the blank <laughs> uh, stares and wondering what the hell I was being exposed to and worried about public health. But um, I, uh, I was pleased that my expectations were met. <laughs> what? Wait, why are you pleased? Because I, I did not like the movie. I'm sorry. Uh, the only th- and we can talk about it, but um, we will. We don't have to spend ton time on it. I'm just curious as to why, what, why did it fail to you, and what didn't you like, and what did you, what did you like? Because I'm going to have to challenge you on that a little bit. I want to know. No, oh, that's fine. Some of the that's things fine. worked, right? I, I, some of the things did work. Lando Calrissian worked, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the big eternal ether beast going through hyperspace and being, you know, a crossover dune worm uh, as a threat was totally farcical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the notion that they had to mine for warp fuel uh-huh. completely uh, stands in the face of everything that was presented in the past. Um, the fact that there was a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome crossover with the kids becoming the rebellion was um, huh. nauseating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, the, the thing I liked at the beginning was his origin story up to right. the point where he got separated, mm-hmm. right? I thought I thought that was that was well done, but at that point, up until I mean, right after they did the Force Ten from Navarone, uh, or in, you know, Inglorious Bastards, um, mercenaries in the midst of battle going off and stealing warp fuel and taking it off. Um, the, from that point on, that's where I said, "Welcome to the suck." I love the intro. I loved everything leading up yep. to his escape. Although, I will admit, as much as I like Amelia <laughs> Clark, I really like her on Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know whether it's typecasting or what, but I was really struggling with how much I didn't want her to be the character that she was playing. I agree. I, I feel did like not they'd... buy her when they're no. walking along, and she's like, "Oh, you stole the shed, and yay, we're gonna live a life that we, you know, we promised." The, oh, you stole the thing. Oh, great. Like I just didn't. I like it, and then every costuming choice for her with the exception yeah. of when she stole Lando's cape and tried to be old fierce looking all the other versions of her like when when he finds her again after three years and she's on that yacht and she's all 40s glammed up it's like what is what the fuck movie am I watching right now like ragtime that's what she you're was watching. not convincing yeah. as the character that she was playing and all I was seeing was Amelia Clark I wasn't even seeing Daenerys I was just seeing the actress and no, I, but I, I think to me that they cast her in that role because she's hot. But, but she's no, not. And I, I, I don't she's mean physically hot. Really. I, I mean, mean I mean, no, no, I mean, I mean, cute. hot. No, no, okay. I'm, not, I'm not talking. I'm not getting physically hot. I'm talking hot oh. at the time because oh, of the Game of Thrones thing. That like, let's show together A-listers and what possibly could well, go I, wrong. And I don't like that in general. I don't like when in any of these movies when you have stunt casting. I like it when it's unknowns. And I think Aaron, I'd write Aaron Ironwright. Aaron writes. What's his name? Aaron Durong. Yeah. He, I mean, with the exception of Hail Caesar and a few other small projects, he's yeah. an unknown. Yep. That's fine. And, and, um, and as much as we, uh, as much as we might think that, um, what's his name playing Lando? Yeah. I'm not really hot on my, 
pronouns right now. But the point is, he was, uh, you know, he was, uh, he's known for community fans and he's known for people who follow Donald his music. Glover. Donald, Donald Glover. Glover. Right? But he's yes. not, um, you know, my problem with his name is I always, like going back to the beginning yes. of community, as I thought, I always think of, you know, I'm too tired for this shit. <laughs> no, no. It's wrong I, Glover. I actually, I, I, actually, I actually thought he was the Me son. Too. Me too. Of, and and Carrie Ann, Carrie Ann has been like, no, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> and, and I had a, well, that was one of my biggest Mia Koopas. Carrie Ann, if you're out there listening, uh, you were she's absolutely not. right. I was absolutely wrong. Yeah, she's and, Paul Bettany is known, but I don't. I didn't think of him as stunt casting, particularly since he was inserted in at the end to replace someone else. But yeah, but that was Paul Bettany from Legion. That's my problem with it. Is that, huh? Yes. Didn't you watch Legion? Wait a minute. What? Not the show. The movie. Oh. With Dennis Quaid. You know, the, the Paul Bettany is the angel coming back to save everybody. No, I didn't see that. Okay. No, thank you. But but um, this was. Paul Bettany. I, you blew my mind for in, a minute there. I was like, he's on Legion? <laughs> no, no, no. no. It, it was Paul Bettany during the troubled years. Ah, uh, okay. Right? That, well, that, all right. Well, no, hold no. on. Hold on. But Amelia Clark was the one that felt them. She's the most known member of the cast other than Woody Harrelson. But she and Woody Harrelson are both actors that I couldn't get. I couldn't get them out of the role. And what's interesting about that is when Woody Harrelson was in the last Planet of the Apes movie, I bought him as the character. Yes, but in this movie, because he's eh, he's kind of sleazy, kind of kind of cynical, he just felt like Woody Harrelson, right? And the fact that he's the gateway drug, yeah. for Han Solo to now become like a scalawag was totally unbelievable. If not for DJ in the Last Jedi, I would have yeah. said that that was the laziest, you know, oh half-assed my God, yeah. someone cosplaying. Not even that's a that's a crit. That's a yeah, put down to people who do incredible cosplay. He just was like he just it was like someone went to a costume party and said, "I'm a Star Wars guy." You know, no, I think I think not, like we're going to no... give five percent. We're going to give you five percent in a grow company in Humboldt County. Yeah, it was. So, uh, yeah, he just threw it in. All right, so that's um, a, so right on. So I'm going to give you a flash challenge then. So who should can... Amelia Clark's character been played by if it wasn't Amelia Clark? I would have gone with somebody. A little more exotic and a little more unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody a little more raw. And I'm thinking of um, somebody from The Expanse uh-huh. that we know very well that I thought would do um, very well in that role. As Alex. Kind of the, yes. <laughs> no. Um, the uh, Hold on. Cast. That's fine. Uh, Dominique Tipper. Uh huh. Interesting. Right? I think that kind of true grit, Mm -hmm. I think it would have made it a a lot more um, aligned with the visual that they were trying to convey. This kind of like like Blade Runner post, you know, everything sucks. Kids are in slavery. Um, Hold on. The the kind of Belter thing would have played really well. Here's a segue. Uh, I think that she's the weakest member of the Expanse casting. I like her visually. I like listening to her. I liked her initially. So the the, more I read the books, the more I decided that she was supposed to be that she was supposed to have that pan-African look with the really like really um, thick curled kink hair and much more exotic looking and not London. I don't know. Like there's 
also in the way she plays and the way they've written her, but also the way she plays it, especially in this last season where she's pleading for people to give her another chance and she's torn mm-hmm. between two factions. She doesn't feel she doesn't have the <laughs> but wait a fierce minute. independence and, and competency that you expect from the books. But, but wait a minute. Oh, no. They gutted 90 percent of her story. That's right. From the TV show. That's right. And I think they wrote her into the acting box that you're judging her in. You're right. Right? You're right. So I'll go, I will go back to her and her acting chops in season one and two, mm-hmm. which, I thought was, was, which I thought was, was much stronger, right? But I think, I think out of all the characters on The Expanse, the one that has suffered the most is Naomi. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, we, we may still get her story with... Uh... Well, okay. So the thing is, oh, God, no, but I'm just we're saying, totally I'm spinning. Saying, we're spinning out here, but yeah, yeah. But but like I was thinking that we were losing the whole the storyline with her family. Um, but at the same time, um, Ashford's little grunt, his jackass that uh, that uh, um, that Miller was with yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh, on the on the station. He seems like he was playing her son, right from the books for a while there he had that vibe that he might be that guy and mm-hmm. and they've been com- they've been fusing people so much to the point where i was like are they really doing that and then then you finally figure out that or it becomes apparent that it's not but but there's no yeah, there's no saying that that, that storyline is not coming up though because we still need to get to the point where we have a fleet disappear and in, massive well, maybe. Well, massive maybe. instability massive maybe. instability happening to the inner the inners i don't know anyway. maybe yeah, they've taken such creative license with the, the the we gotta talk about it that I, I don't know it. anymore like, we need we'll, another we, we need 18 yeah. hours for that but okay so for my for me for uh for that character in uh in solo it's alicia vikender i can understand that yep. yeah because i think that what's interesting about her is she's very recognizable to us um but i feel like when she plays different roles i feel like she is the characters that she's playing Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like she could play the youthfulness and the naivety of the early, not naivety because she was a street person, but although in the way that they filmed Solo, they didn't seem very street. But, you know, she. I feel like she could play, you know, they're young and they're going to get off planet and the, the world is their oyster. And then later on be like, well, <laughs> the oyster sucks. I'm kept, <laughs> you know, right. I feel like that she could have pulled it off a lot differently. What do you think, what do you think about uh, Karen Gillan? Uh, Karen Gillan in that Nebula. Character? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting one. I don't know because I'm not... Hmm. I like her a lot, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure for that character that I can see it. Uh, okay. Here's why. Um, her Amy Pond, uh, in so much as I've seen it, which is not a lot of it, but um, kind of kind of quirky kind of quirky girl and then uh some of her other other independent stuff was like that and then in and then when she did um when she did jumanji there was a good mix of knowing and then and and naive which was okay Mm -hmm. which i liked i really liked that and then when she was in um when she was you know as nebula not really I have not find I have not found her bringing anything specific to Nebula that I liked. Huh. Okay. I don't I don't not like her, but she's not owning Nebula as a character in a way that makes me feel like well no one else could play Nebula. I don't know. There's just 
She's well, I, I, I think it's, again, I'll go back to, I think it's the way that it's written. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's five layers deep in uh, face sculpturing. Yeah. So, right. but yet Groot, you can't think of anybody else but Vin Diesel doing Groot. So I get your right. point. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. But I mean, I, <laughs> but I would still be willing to entertain a world in which Ken, Karen Gillan is. So I think we can agree that anybody would, a lot of folks would have been better. Yeah. And that role. So, um, one thing that didn't work for me particularly. Okay, can I offer one more thing that didn't yes. work for me? Yes. The fact that in every security gate in this movie, <laughs> once he got past the checkpoint, it no was balls deep. <laughs> balls deep. That's whatever they want to do. Just go do it. Like once you get past the security gate, just go for it. And there's no repercussions for it. Like you can go smuggle stuff. You can do whatever you want. Like you're done. Like you get past the checkpoint, you're in. There was, there was an over-reliance on uh, stealing stealing hot rods vibe to the land speeder stuff but at the same time i did like the fact that they applied a physics they applied a unique physics to them they felt internally they felt internally consistent about how they behaved on the ground plane the way he slid it and the way they were acting almost like hovercraft um Mm -hmm. i thought that was okay um i just it definitely suffered from that that problem that we've seen too much of, which is the uh, which Last Jedi has the worst example of it in modern history that I can think of. But it, it suffers a lot from like we're gonna get out of here, and two minutes later the bad guys like we're gonna chase them, and then all of a sudden the bad guys right behind them the whole way. Last yes. Jedi, uh, Finn was like I'm gonna go send myself right into the center of the big giant laser for no fucking reason, and then all of a sudden, and you know he's sp- they spent all Whoop. this time f- racing towards it with making no progress. And then all of a sudden he's right up at it, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he gets saved. Rose gets knocked, knocks him sideways. Like the, yeah. Like there's no way she could have even been there. Yeah. All right. We're be- okay. All right. So anyway, I, yeah. I was enjoying aspects of that chase, although what I found strange was that they did not give it any sense of urgency. There was no speed to it. It didn't feel fast. It actually felt like someone stole a tractor and then someone else stole a combine, and they're gonna. Right. I'm going to get that tractor back. You know? I know. It, it was Smokey and the Bandit, not Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. What didn't help me going into the movie was that I had just discovered the the uh, Xbox Connect or whatever, whatever Microsoft Connect game haunts the Star Wars game that they had come out with that has become a... I have no it, idea. It was There'll a meme, no it was a meme on the internet for years. Um. And they they did you know so the connect was the whole thing where it's looking at your body language and your you got you got the controllers in your hand and you pretend to play tennis you know that kind of thing right and like Nintendo Wii right and so they produced a bunch nothing. of games and they did uh you know the Nintendo Wii mm-hmm. pretending to play tennis you're holding nothing I think I played frisbee golf on it once at four sure, o'clock in the morning sure. you get it yeah and you didn't even have a Nintendo Wii <laughs> no. All right, I, so, I, I have not owned a console game in my life other right, than Atari. All right, so they so so they did a couple of different games. Um, uh, they did a couple of different games that were like they made some games that made Solo worse. Uh, well, they did. Um, I'm sending it to you right now. Uh, all right, here he goes. Uh, so, do you want me to send it to your uh, your your messenger or to your text? Which you want? Which one do you want to see it? Text. All right. So click this. For those listening at home, I'm sending a thing to one eight hundred E. All right. So later on, you have to actually. Have, 
I mean, honestly, you have to watch this later with your daughter because it is incredibly infectious. But anyway, what it was was like a Dance Dance Revolution cipher, but it was Star Wars characters. And so, you know, the thing where you have to do the dance moves, and if you get the dance moves right, then you win points and stuff. And this whole thing is, uh, there's a song called I'm Han Solo, and he's doing all these cool, you know, popular moves from the early aughts or whatever, (laughs) whatever it was. And... And, and, you know, they just mix whatever characters into it. So he'll be dancing with two people, two people who are like Bespin Cloud City officials are behind him. Or like there'll be a, you know, Boba Fett's dancing and then there's two slate, you know, slave Twi'leks dancing behind him or something like that. And it's the most surreal and painful thing you'll ever see. And yet it's really a, um, a, a sort of like an earworm, like it gets in your head and you can't not hear it. And so I showed it to my kids, and then they started doing it. And so all of a sudden, leading up to after I saw the first time I saw Han Solo in Indonesia, and I came back, leading up to when we went and saw it at the Alamo, there was a good two or three days where randomly my son would just suddenly, he would suddenly do the dab and be going, I'm Han Solo, I'm Han Solo. And I'm like, you just... So I go into the movie, and I can't stop hearing that song, even as I'm watching the movie. So that's the story about that. Did you watch it? I'm going to wall that off in a virus box. No, you're going to watch it and you're going to understand what I mean. The point is, some would say, maybe you, that that game was better than the solo movie. But to me, it was just, it was a mind where I couldn't get out of my head. If it inspired people, it's better. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think about uh, Dryden Voss? Going back to this movie. One day you'll understand. Going back to this movie... No. So Paul Bettany replaced uh, Williams, what's his name, from The Wire? Huh? No, The Wire? Was it? There was an <laughs> the actor. Curly, the curly fro dark no. haired guy? God damn it. The little was finger. He, was in? He, replaced a, he, he replaced an actor that couldn't come back for reshoots after uh, they developed, Ron Howard uh, They developed an, in, <laughs> an oh. incredible sense of taste. No. And so, <laughs> and then the when the guy, the original guy who had done the movie... He had filmed all his scenes. It was expected he was going to have a CGI overlay and he was going to be an alien creature. And when they went back and did it with Paul Bettany, they gave him this, like, he, my problem is he looks too humanoid, but apparently he was not truly human in the sense that he didn't have, those weren't scars, but they were like weird ribs on, on his face that would glow when he was pissed or whatever else. But Don't ever say ribs to me again. Yes. But the point, though, is what I did like about him was the combination of being pleasant and menacing at the same time. I liked it because other projects, that character has been very two-dimensional and really obvious. I'm nice, but I'm crazy, right? And Paul Bettany played it a little bit more subdued than that, which I liked. I didn't know, like the characters didn't know, like Solo and, and, and Chewie and them didn't know. I didn't know where he was, how menacing he was or not. Whether I knew he was, I knew he was unpleasant. I knew there was a problem with him, but I didn't know how deep it was. And I think that was what they were going for, trying to be a little more subtle. However, all the concept art for that character, there were many different versions of it, but there were some of them where he was wildly exotic looking, and I think I would have preferred it that way. Agreed. I'm watching the Kinect thing, and I can't believe you just put this in my brain. It's Han Solo. It's Han Solo. (laughs) This is... For those of you listening to us, for the love of God... Don't, <laughs> don't watch it. 
This is um, <laughs> I love the it. fact that you have R2-D2 and C-3PO killing themselves. Oh, in the no. Back. The best part is the background uh, animations leading up to the dance. And you'll see like um, Lobot. My man Lobot is the DJ. And he's throwing out his hand. He's fist pumping while he's working the giant console that like controls carbon like freezing carbon or something. Carbonite chamber. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And then you'll see randomly there are like women in, in uh, Empire officers uniforms just freaking. Yeah. So wait, this this is authorized by Lucasfilm. It was. It was a it was a Dance Dance Revolution clone. This is this actually was sanctioned uh-huh. by people. Yeah. Like actual living people. Oh yeah, you got that guy getting the whole spinning double deck. <laughs> it's, I love like, it. Really, so much. vinyl is still around. I love it so much. It's so wrong in every way. And Lando doing the groove, shake, shake your money maker thing. Hey, going back to uh, planet whatever. No, no, we can't. We can't go back from this. No, no. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have issues for the rest of my life. Going back to the planet that Han Solo was on when he was an orphan or whatever, and all that bullshit. Um, the one thing I did like was we finally got a taste that I've been waiting for, which is what the civilians on these various planets thought of the Empire. And how it's this sort of overarching government slash military thing that's just it's up there, big picture, controlling things, and everybody else just living their yeah, lives. Yeah. And the stormtroopers yeah. are walking around, sort of like military police, and they kind of rough someone up. And it had a it 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 was really easy to suddenly imagine what it was like living under the Empire because all these movies have always been top top of the top of the pyramid dealing with these people. And was, I've always wanted to see, and Rogue One gave us a good taste of that. When so we, I was going, I was going to point out that I thought Rogue One gave a much better portrayal of life under the Empire than this movie did. Yeah, but I mean, but I like that you saw things like them having a recruiting station in the first place. That was kind of cool. Um, yeah. Fourth wall that the the Imperial March was playing in the in the in the recruitment video. Yeah. A lot of people have complained that the whole thing about giving him the name Solo was cheesy and I'm sure you're one of them, but no, um, actually, actually out of everything else in the movie, I didn't, I, I I'm not going to squawk over that. There's a lot of things in this movie that are little bon mots for fans, like these little fan service nods to things from the dice to the parsecs, to this, to that. But you know, it, and we, and we finally found the, 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 what is it? The Killian run and 12 parsecs, like the fish that got away, that yeah, whole thing. Yeah. He won by cheating. <laughs> well, okay. So, um, uh, but anyway, so I like that aspect of it. I liked seeing this, the stormtroopers surrounded by civilians makes the stormtroopers look more menacing and kind of cool looking. Although you're right, you get past the gate and you're you're, you're in, home free. you're done. Like like even even if you're sniffing others yelling you at you know through the plexiglass, run away. That was, they're not going to yeah. catch onto that yeah. and they're not going to track you down. It was like it was like uh, it was like the uh, it was like the Berlin Wall, right? It had that atomic blonde kind of vibe. Like you got over the other side, and it's like, well, <laughs> no, 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 because actually they're in control of both sides. Well, that's true. You're right. Right. Don't poke and, holes um, in casual reference to no, no, it, a bunch it, better it, movie. But uh, I will say that I, I I have to give it credit. The some of the best character driven scenes were the for the poker games mm-hmm. between Lando and Han. I will say those. I the found cheating was a little obvious, and the and the rules yeah. were. Both mercurial and simplistic, but yes. Yeah. No, no. I, it, it it was like Ocean's Eleven, you know. But it but stuff. it had the vibe. You really bought um, how uh, how Glover tried to in, um, infuse Lando with 
his swagger and his confidence yes. and his charm. Yes. This is a guy, he played it as a guy who's been coasting. He was like the popular guy in high school, right? He was coasting on his charm and was not really prepared for admitting that maybe things weren't going as well as he pretended they were. Like when you get the sense that the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon has been booted, you know, he's like, well, you know, well, like yeah. I, I like that. He was, he played like the guy that's been bullshitting his way ever since his, his, uh, his luck ran out. So I like yeah, that Colt, a lot. Colt 45. Or yeah, time. He, <laughs> no, it doesn't. The, um, <laughs> he was great. I mean, he was really great. Yeah. So what I would have liked to have seen in the movie is let's get rid of Amelia. Let's mm-hmm. get rid of Paul Bettany. Mm-hmm. And let's really make this movie about Lando and Han. Mm-hmm. Or, I, I, well, and Chewie. Yeah. And I was going to say, this movie was as much a Chewie origin story as anything. Right. Well, and I think they could have done a lot more with Chewie than they did. Than... But but he, but he I'll tell you what, between, what's his name, the seven, that new guy that's doing it, who's really great. Instead of David Tools, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, in his interviews and stuff, he's great. But you... um. He he moves more in this film than he does in Last Jedi, which I appreciate. He's not as physical well, because, in the later movies because he was because in he's... braces and on steroids in the Last Jedi. Like the, no, no, yeah. but, well, no, but they were telling, telling him play it older now, and then in Solo right. play it younger. Playing him as a younger Chewie in Solo, particularly when he was chained up, I really bought it. Everything yeah. he did, I really bought as a younger, more virile, more violent Wookie. He was great. I loved all yes. the references to the Wookiees down there eating people and all that shit. Right. It's great. Yeah, no, I, and so I would have much rather seen a Chewie origin story than yeah. what I saw. Yeah. Well, Chewie did get um, 10 minutes of, well, five minutes of, my people are enslaved. Yes. Yeah, and, then, and then we were. Yeah. And then, and then suddenly, oh, who cares about that anymore? The, I have a question. Um, do you think yeah. that, do you think that um, restraining bolts that were used on the droids when L three 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 seven initiated the robot, uh, the droid uprising, those bolts, those restraining bolts. Do you think that that is the mechanism by which all droids follow programming, and it blocks sentience? Because the implication is that all those droids were just doing their mundane things because that thing was on them, and as soon as she knocked it off or they knocked it off, they were free of that programming. That's strange. It, it is, and I and I I don't agree with it. Like, um, if they were worried about sentience, they just wouldn't have programmed it in. Right, right, right. And it was just it me, was uh, it was just slavery. Right. No, and, and I think that, that was one of the. It was interesting that they had such great targets and opportunities to really do a commentary on certain aspects of humanity, mm-hmm. like Black Panther did. Like uh, you know others, and this and they just like totally whiffed on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a chewy story. I think there could have been a lot of parallels about how the empire treats second class citizens, be totally. it a robot, be it a chewy, be it totally. everything else. Yep. Right. Yep. And yep. and this whole thing about it wasn't only um, conquest by force, but conquest of thought, conquest of behavior, economics. and conquest of and econo- economic, right? Huge, and that huge right? aspect though is economics. Right, and I think the resources it, of planets and moving on to the next one and the next one. Yeah, right. We're going to do it for the betterment of the empire, and you know there could have been even the direct parallels of the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire. Right. They just totally whiffed on empire, period, um, right? Right, and and even cultural appropriation. If you speak in your native tongue, we're going to kill you. Right, yep. you have to you have to talk like we do. Um, right. What did you think? The, I thought it was interesting that. Um, I thought it was interesting that the uh, I like the I like the rapid um, 
deconstruction of the Millennium Falcon. I really enjoyed seeing it new and having its little point, although the concept art for all the I mean, different versions of it made it more sense as a prong that could carry cargo and they never really explained why it was the way it was in the movie but i liked that it was like white and blue and nice and then he yeah yeah he like borrowed it i won't i'll bring it back perfect don't worry about it and it's just fucking destroyed right and it's, it's the same thing that han solo told luke and mm-hmm. and others like when they they went off like yeah bring don't it back. scratch it yeah. and and princess leia told lando like yeah. don't wreck the million falcon right. and of course right. they totally fucked it up but i i found it how bad were the repair crews <laughs> so let's right, talk right, about that, that, like like it, it went from a monotail to a split tail on the front end. Yeah, and they never thought like that that didn't serve any purpose, like shielding or <laughs> comms or you know like right, like right. electronics. It was cargo like, yeah, you know the yeah. it was it was a fan tail that yeah. you know nobody really needed. So what did you think about L three 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 seven? Uh, the pilot mm-hmm. sex bot for mm-hmm. Lando. Mm-hmm. I thought the version that they did of that in Rogue One was way better. So it really felt second note to how well they did it with Rogue One. Yeah. And in Rogue One, it was very specific that when he repro- when he wiped their programming and he messed with it, it was an unintended consequence that it was going to be a surly fucking thing. Yeah. And in this one, it was like, and this is only 10 to 15 years after. No, no, it's before Rogue One. Before 10 Rogue to 15 One. years before, before Rogue One. Yeah. And this was the most sentient and natural behaving droid that we've ever seen. Within I, I had a problem limits. with that. I had a problem with within, that. Within certain limits. And I also found it very objectionable that at the end she merged. Well, I'm going to do was gender identity. I'm going to do gender identity with that robot. Um, but the fact that they became the cloud consciousness of the Falcon and that somehow that gave it the special sauce that allowed it to do what it did. After that, I you didn't like that. Uh, no. I actually thought that was interesting because it was a great reference to the fact that they made comments. To, like there was that scene where R two D two was connecting with the Falcon and was like, "Oh, it's 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 spicy," you know. Like I don't know, I don't know. There was and 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 the fact that there's been this mystique around the ship, like there's something more to it than just having cool pilots and and fan service. I don't know. I thought that there was something interesting about the idea that. He took her navigational database and shoved it in the ship. I didn't get the sense but, that they were saying so, they were making the Falcon sentient. I thought they were merely saying we just took all of the the salvageable data from thirty L three 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 seven and shoving it into the Falcon. Right, right. So I would have I would have found it much more palatable if they took if they said that they were trying to save both her database and her mannerism. Right, 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 right. Right. That they actually tried right. to port. This really was stealing Hunter the boots. This was stealing the boots off a dead soldier. That's what it was. Right, right, and and like we're going to dump our database, yeah, into the Falcon, and suddenly it's greater than some of the parts. I thought, well, no, that's actually not how it works. Um, I always get the uh, concept books for these movies, and looking at some of the ideas behind what they thought that that character might be, mm-hmm. I'm really disappointed at how it manifested uh, um, design-wise because. One of the things I've loved about droids in, with the exception of the protocol droids, which are supposed to be theoretically humanoid enough that you you know where to look when you're talking to it, right? So it has well, they, they have an ethos to base. them as well as a right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, and I mean, they never explained why the um, why the other the other protocol droids have like insect heads and whatever else. But the point is and why though, they have different color codes. Yeah, sure. Like why, the, why, why, why like painted black versus gold? Like, how rude! But I mean, I. 
I liked it, like with R two D two, we associate the the one red optic with being her, his eye, but actually he's got other blinky blinks and mm-hmm. some other things going on. And 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 BB eight has a has two eyes that are sort of together, but but it, even, it, but even it, there were other R two units was, but there in was the all, Star Wars universe that were conserved in the phenotype. Yeah, right, exactly. And the thing about L three thirty seven is. It didn't look enough like it was cobbled together from because it was supposed to be a piecemeal drawing, mm-hmm. but it didn't look like it was cobbled together from any droid language that we'd seen. Like it wasn't like it was an astromech droid body with another head, and like I think that would have been more interesting if it looked like a droid that we're familiar with, but mutated, you know, cobbled mm-hmm. together. That would have been cool. Also, well, I also thought like maybe C three PO with the human face. Yeah, or like the proportions. Like it proportions were like the hips are really high and had these really long legs, which were different, but design language wise are very similar. Um, the the fact that uh, it acted with man- very human mannerisms, especially with the hands and like the 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 the, the finger banging and uh, other finger banging, but like all that stuff. I mean, kind of was interesting to me, except um, when you combine that with the fact that the head was not very interesting in terms of. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's mass and where the eyes were supposed to be and all that stuff, and the fact that the very capable actress that was rotoscoped for that role mm-hmm. sounds too much like Gwendolyn Christie was really confusing. And I when I was at the Alamo, I heard someone say, "Forbidden at the Alamo to talk." I heard someone say, "Wait, is that Phasma?" Like it, her voice mm-hmm. was way too similar, so that was distracting. She mm-hmm. really felt like you're watching an episode of white dwarf or something where there's a robot, but then there's some comedian talking behind them. It didn't ever feel like I was listening to a droid communicating with them. Mm -hmm. And you could have used the same dialogue and the same sort of creepy, I think he's into me and whatever else, all the, or like the weird sarcasm about being enslaved and, you know, and all that other shit. If the voice had been more modulated and less humanoid, and if there were some other things that made it feel less like you were looking at a skin over, like a robot skin over just a human actor, it would have been more successful mm-hmm. to me. Yep. So all I my agree. feelings about that character right there. Yep. Well, and, and I'll just bring up two other points that I, for you to consider. They, they make the claim, right, that she created herself out of parts of other droids. Right. If that were true, it would have been a much more asymmetric mismatch. Correct. Right? Well, but that's also like they argue that Boba Fett's armor is a composite and doesn't look but, like a composite. Uh, yeah, okay, great. It's not, but I mean, it fits on him and he looks like a badass. Yeah, true. Right? If if it's if it's a gamish, I would expect it more like uh, District 9, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just a, a, a cobbling together of things and it looks like a scarecrow uh, with really bad bowel issues. Um, well, that's a thing. That is a thing. And the other thing that I thought kind of... Um, was weird in it was the Lando relationship with L337, mm. right? That everyone has taken it to be that he was pansexual and then it was. No, 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 no. But, but I don't I think it was. It, I thought it no, was no, just no. he had an emotional relationship with the droid. But then I, I would think that the dialogue between them would be much different. Mm. Well, but it only was revealed in those a few tender moments when yeah, he yeah, yeah. acted as emotional as he was. That was really, that was believable to me. I didn't think but, that someone cruising around with a droid co-pilot would be a, like, hey, sweetums, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. But I thought, I, to me, just going back to Rogue One, I thought that interaction between mm-hmm. the robot and the humans was much more genuine. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Right? Than this one. And it seemed like that even the vernacular wasn't, like, buddy-buddy 
or best friend or mentor, right? Sure. I thought it could have been really cool if they gave a little snippet or backstory, like L337 was like the original savior of Lando in his sure. environment. Sure, sure. And then, and, and then he had a kind of a parental or a sibling relationship with it. Yeah. Th- to me, that, that would have added a lot more depth than just kind of this you know what struck implied, me when I was it? implied bond, right? This is what struck me the second time I watched it, which was you watched it twice because I went back and saw it at the Alamo with my wife. Oh, I saw wow. it twice. So you must really love thing. your wife. Well, I do, but here's the thing: I had this idea. There's all this fan service around Lando in the same way that there is about Boba Fett, right? Oh, there's you know he's he's this force of charismatic energy. My thought was. What if the relationship between L337 and him was the L337 was the pilot and Lando was the co-pilot? Mm-hmm. Or the droid was in charge? We've never seen that. Yeah, ever and, and, in Lando, Star Wars. and Lando was a front person, but L337 was the brains. He acted like he was the one in charge because he's a human because droids shouldn't be independent and sentient. But mm-hmm. she, but it was actually running things. And I think that would have been an amazing thing to see. Especially if she was really the first woke bot. Yeah. Right, that 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 she brought Lando in, yep, deliberately and intentionally to hide behind. Shifting gears, and I don't just mean the magical, mysterious gear shifting that was occurring on the hover land speeder in that sequence. Put it in reverse. It's like gears. I feel the need for speed. You, you who drives a Tesla, should appreciate the fact that there shouldn't have been gears on that land speeder. Um, let there are alone no gears the, in a Tesla. Yeah, let alone, let alone. What's that? It's a direct drive. It does yeah, changes right. rotation. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying. You, you, it's astonishing that they went back to the '90s prequels and forward uh, con- conceit that they would make analog engine sounds and things and say that it's spacey. But anyway, well, hey, we need warp fuel. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, but anyway, maybe they have a carburetor on the antimatter drive. That's great. I think cool. overall, one of the things that bothered me was that while it did have a look that was reminiscent of Rogue One in the sense that it was gritty. The problem was uh, Rogue One had some very rich scenes. Mm-hmm. The the rice patties or whatever it is that um, that, that the family was living on when uh, Krennic showed up to, to get him, and then the 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 vibrancy of the of the tropical climate of mm-hmm. of that planet. Everything there were some really great, um, really. Um, like saturated but dark scenes. They looked really mm-hmm. vi- visually very arresting. But in Han Solo, everything was muted and murky. There were sequences where I couldn't tell who was fighting because it was so smoky, misty, murky. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I think that was a really strange thing to happen because even when Ron Howard came on board, I'm not entirely a fan of everything he does, but he is very in tune with artificially engineering the 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 visual tone of the film based on like i mean to a point to a negative point like saving private ryan where it's like everything is mud until it's except for the future flashes that wasn't but that wasn't ron howard oh that was spielberg yeah oh you're right right and it's been the technical memorial scenes yeah spielberg Spielberg deliberately because the blood was the contrast element on it right but then the memorial but then the graveyard was like this technicolor green grass yeah yeah but anyway, you're right, you're right. But even so, Ron Howard, I mean, I don't know. It's just like everything. It was surprising to me that if they reshot 80% of the film, it would remain as murky as it was. But I could, I could easily see Ron Howard. I could easily predict him being this type of fellow, that we, he would adhere to the aesthetic palette, mm-hmm. the design palette, 
and he would be kind of the structural dude that would stitch it all together. I mean, the but original he, movies he wouldn't, had... he wouldn't want to go back and, and rehash all of that and create de novo. I could see him trying to maintain that. The original movies had, they used plenty of um, blast some steam or some dry ice or something to cover for the bad sets. They did that mm-hmm. a lot, right? Um, but but, but, but now then, they have no need to. Right. And But also, they would do it and it would be like, it was sort of like when they were in the stupid uh, meteor worm, right? Oh there's this God. murky dry ice on the ground to explain what they're standing on with atmosphere and gravity. And then, oh, there's a flying thing and uh, let's go back in the ship. And then they took off and it was the most, the cheesiest thing in all of Star Wars. And yet it felt more um, as an actual place than most of the scenes in Han Solo where everything was so cloudy and murky and gray. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was hard to distinguish. In your mind, it's somewhat hard to distinguish the different worlds he was on. No, it, it just seemed like one big schmear. Yeah. And right? and I also think, I mean, one of my biggest criticisms in these supposed space movies is when the alien landscapes just look like Earth, right? Like and, desert Earth, yeah, wooded Earth. Yeah, yeah, like I've never understood why they didn't do things. And I appreciate the fact that modern Mars movies, Mars is brown because it's not really red, but... It really irritates me when you see things where it's like, well, we're we're on an exotic planet, but it looks like Vancouver, and it's like, why, mm-hmm. why didn't they at least do a a a, a post a post effect where everything is blue or something like? Yeah, I mean, like, even even Star Trek did that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, everything in this movie felt like it was on Earth, with the exception, with one exception, which was well, the it felt really like it was in South St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the exception of the really interesting rock formations on the planet that was being mined. And that whole monorail that was zipping through there when when they blew up the thing and then it started to implode. Yeah, I the, thought that was Switzerland. The, that was like the, yeah, but the rock behaved very differently, and I, they put a lot of time into that. I think. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> talking about a great expensive resources. Yes, I also yeah. I also noted I remember coming out of it feeling that Rio, the multi armed little guy that uh, Favreau voiced. Yeah, which is way too Burroughs, you know. He just had this Burroughs accent. There, there was way too everything. Yeah, I did like that he made the mention that you you don't know Bliss until you've fallen asleep in a Wookiee's lap. That was a very strange, very specific thing to say that I liked. But you know, yeah. All right. Well, okay. Anything else about? Were you surprised at the end when she's like, "I'll be right with you," except I'm not. And I'm no, like, I knew that from the very beginning. Yeah. And then what, so... Because, it, I mean, I understand why, because that sets up his emotional interactions with everyone in the future. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and then the, the witty thing, like, trust no, no one. No, but at the right? same time, though, we they edited, they didn't, through editing and through what they chose to shoot, they didn't actually show the ramifications of it. Like, I would have expected if he was to be betrayed, you would have, I mean, we've seen many movies where someone has, like, gotten through the whole noir, noir story... And then the femme fatale is like, and knife in the gut, and I'm gonna take it all the money, and I was always, I was always using you, and I'm off. And then the guy's like, no, there was none of that. He was like, he was almost, he was almost um, humiliatingly naive, and he's like, okay, oh shucks, I'll go in the in the elevator, and but at least I got chewy. Yeah, at least I got chewy. Like there was, it didn't have the emotional resonance that I would expect from the kind of betrayal that he was experiencing there. The implication was there, but they didn't really show it. Right. And so, again, to me, the one of the greatest issues with this movie is it did nothing 
to add to the emotional complexity that Harrison Ford demonstrated in four, five, and six. Mm, that's true. I think you're right on that. Nothing, nothing, um, because he was he was mercurial, he was machismo, and he was, you know, weak all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and this did nothing to feed into that other than to give the tropes that are utterly predictable, troubled youth, forced and scripted into a system that he didn't like, betrayal by a loved one, and now he's got a Wookiee. And, uh, and, and a ship. Uh, and, 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 being, and, bravo- and false bravado. And right. And, and some gold press. And all that. Right. And some gold press, you know, gold press Latin. I, for, <laughs> for warp fuel. The like, one the thing, fuck? but the one most obvious criticism of the movie that happened months before it ever came out, year before it ever came out, that I still argue against is everybody who was whining that he did not look and act like Han Solo or more, more specifically, he didn't look or act like Harrison Ford. That's the one thing I did not have a problem with. I agree because I think I'll I'll give you that. I think that the biggest mistake they ever made was Ewan McGregor in the prequels doing a imitation, an imitation of Alec Guinness. We've talked about this, right? By mimicking Alec Guinness and doing it well, they established a template that would be that the expectation is that actors playing different eras version of those characters must imitate the actors that were playing the older character. And to me, you don't need to ever do that. We've had countless stories where a different actor is playing a younger or older version of a certain character and mm-hmm. you just roll with it because it's character. Yep. And I think he did a very good job of, even though his pitch is a different pitch and certain other things aren't the same as Harrison Ford by any stretch... They didn't hire him to be a mimic of Harrison Ford. They hired him because they thought that he might have the mix of charisma and mystery and overconfidence and, and confusion, and smartass, smartass yeah. and and naivety, all wrapped into one. And I think that that was a really interesting and interesting choice. Yeah. I thought it was also very very effective that towards the very end of the film, he did a sort of a farewell. He did a gesture with his hand right before leaving. That was straight up Harrison Ford as Han Solo later. Mm-hmm. He did a little thing with his hand, and it did a lot to bridge them. Even though the two actors don't look the same and they don't sound the same, it was fine. It's totally fucking fine. I uh, mean, the, the, no one has that, said anything about Glover not looking and talking like Lando. But he does think, a little think, bit, I, not much. But I think I think the difference is that Don Glover just owned it. Yeah, and, and made Lando him. But don't you feel like Aaron Wright was? Uh, Aaron Wright is uh, Expanse, but this guy. Don't you think that he was basically um, shortchanged by the project? Like he's hired to be Han Solo and be the star of this thing, and then oh, I, they beefed I, up all the other characters and made him the least interesting part of the movie. I think I think he, they he was he was doomed from the start. We knew he was doomed when he took the role, but on top of that, he was going into a thing where it was it was very slim chances of, of success. So you think they would have done everything in their power to make it compelling. Mm-hmm. But instead, it was sort of like they just danced around him. Yeah, no, the, the, it, he was not the major theme of development throughout mm-hmm. that entire movie. Right? There really wasn't any development other it, than... No, he, he was a spectator. Yeah, he for was. Most of it. He was, yeah. Or, or, or just, you know, along for the ride for the most of it. And he was always following others. He was always, you know, very rarely doing anything on his own initiative. And... <laughs> that to me was another aspect that I found objectionable that right he was a passenger I, 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 don't, I don't expect Han Solo to take a backseat to anybody right 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 and I don't care who they are like the, and, and 
the most he 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 like gave Darth Vader the finger. Like you gotta tell me you gotta <laughs> take a backseat to some fucking well, you know mob collective. Like get the fuck out of here. And the best, and this is, I mean, the same thing happened with Rogue One. But the best example of his feeling like capturing both the bravado and insecurity that I associate with that character mm-hmm. was in the trailers, but not in the movie. Which is where yep. he was like, "We're gonna do the thing," and he's like, "It's it's fine." Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Like he's convinced yeah. himself it's fine right while he's talking. That was incredible. Little bit of acting, and they didn't use it in the film. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Right. Right. Uh, so well, I, you know, yeah. I, I just hope, I, and I because I, I will say total conditional statement here that I really hope that actor, Emma Christ, whatever his name is, that he, I hope that he goes on to do other things, unlike mm-hmm. Hayden Christensen. Right. <laughs> right. That he finds that this isn't a, a career killer. Because I really think he was put in a box that it was a no win situation. Like yeah. Hayden. I think I think Hayden was just totally effed. Yeah, you're right. And and, yeah. and to be fair, um, the kind of character he played in Hail Caesar was the kind where if you were a fan of the Coen brothers, you're gonna love the choices they made. But if you were a mainstream viewer who happened to walk into an ep- into a screening of Hail Caesar and not knew what you were in for, yeah. you're like, That guy is paint on the wall. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. like it made no sense, I'm sure, if you weren't familiar with their process and how they cast people right right um, well it, it, it's the ensemble thing and everybody has a set role and then yeah, yeah it's not it's not really improvisational in nature but so uh the other one, one last thing i want to ask about is um what did you feel about the the final reveal that her that the boss was maul <laughs> laughable <laughs> i know that it was sort of a last minute decision about who it would be. It felt like a fucking G.I. Joe episode. Like, you're, Cobra you're, Khan is like, now yeah. fucking pulling the strings on everything. Part of the problem was, to me, the problem was more about the delivery system than the actual choice. So, it was there's a, the infamous Star Wars hollow screen, blurry hologram of the guy going, Meh, we're gonna do the thing, um, made it feel so artificial and cartoony, right? They've pulled it off with things like ver- various versions of the Emperor, because they've already established that language. Emperor's mm-hmm. always... We've seen that across multiple films, even before the prequels fucking butchered it, is mm-hmm. that he, he shows up in the hollow screen all, like, hooded and meh, and then you see him later and he's being totally different. But, and still ugly, but yeah, yeah. ugly, but different. In this one, it, it, it felt like you're wa- suddenly watching a TV movie or something. Like, it was so jarringly and- wrong... And the no, fact it, it was CSI Star Wars, it was yeah, fucking and the awful. fact that it was, and it was the worst. I mean, people talk about other aspects of the movie being fan service, right? Like all these different references to things like the Kessel Run and how he got his blaster and all these other things. But the reality is that was the worst pans, uh, fan service of the whole movie because no one other than deep Star Wars fans—that's a deep cut for most people, right? Yeah, and no, that was a that was a scat love film, incident, <laughs> and it would it, film to me, viewers, it been, yeah. Well, to me, it would have been better if it was Jar Jar Binks. Well, huh. Let's just vilify him and like make him like the honest and you know, origin of evil. That would be evil. a thing. It would have been a choice that was made. Or an Ewok. An Ewok would have been so priceless. But to people who watch the Star Wars films, and that's the entirety of the continuity, that was really confusing. Because they saw, they saw Maul cut in half and fall into the thing, and he was one of the many prematurely killed off supposedly badass bad guys yeah right? so, but in so the, to me in, it, it in the cartoons he's come back and he's gotten yeah. cyber legs and all that other shit and in the cartoons he is he did post sith you know did mm-hmm. become a criminal warlord and amass a major 
a major movement to rival the power of the Empire's um, sway in the Outer Rim. So that was fan service that people who were deep into Star Wars stuff would like, yeah, but uh, but as a casual viewer or to, as just thinking about how the, you know how that delivery or the, how that reveal should be, even if it was still supposed to be Maul, but if he had been, if it had been an in-person meeting where she like walks in a room and says, okay, so here's the thing. And you see the figure turn around and it's full on bright red mall face. Uh-huh. Like, okay, that would have been more powerful than the hologram. Mm-hmm. I still think it should have been someone totally different. I don't think we needed to rehash another character. Well, I, I, to me, it could have been Grievous. To me, it could have been, um, what was Chris Lee's Sith Lord? Dooku. Oh, Dooku. I'll never accept Dooku because of the name. Doo-doo. But, but I didn't think yeah. it needed to be... But I didn't think it needed to be anyone from mainstream. It could have been Jabba the Hutt. But I didn't think it had to be anyone mainstream. I think it could have been an entirely new... Well, but... It, so here's the problem. They put themselves in the situation where the the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome kids became the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. Right? I totally thought... That reminds me. I thought that... Um, uh, I don't know how you want to say Ender's Game. Whatever the name of the... Oh my the one that was god! Chase, the yeah. one that was chasing him around on the hollow bike all the time and had the really cool helmet and the fur and all that stuff. Um, when when the helmet came off and you see the actress that was in there, I thought it, it, was, it was the same actress from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, right? No, they cryoed her and they brought her up to this role. <laughs> but I thought that I immediately thought that she was the daughter of him and Tandy Newton. Under underused <laughs> Tammy Newton, I thought it that was the whole. I thought that was the rub that she was because it was so. <laughs> but oh, I mean, oh my god! But come on now, he I hear Woody you. Harrelson and Tanny Newton as an interracial couple, very specifically cast. She is very emo, you know emotional to them that she passes away and all this other stuff. He's got this whole thing about about this other mercenary that's always tasking mm-hmm. him, and mm-hmm. then the helmet comes off and hey, it's his daughter, his estranged daughter who hates him. <clears throat> that so would that have been, been perfectly more, fine. Yes, more than more than the Rebel Alliance story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then it's not. It's take the crystals and they're going to take pay the for... warp fuel and take off and fuel the Alliance. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, despite all the negative things you've said <laughs> that I've largely agreed with, I still enjoyed it enough. But that's because I go into these movies and decide I'm going to enjoy the movie. No, I mean as, as a passage of time. Compared to paint drying or <laughs> like um, mani pedis or like massive removal stomach um, bacterial liposuction mm-hmm. yeah massive bacterial infections um, installing new toilets lighthouse press uh, conferences yeah replacing a shower drain um, all right yeah so but, but I it could have been so much better so that's think, the painful thing thinking in contrast to movies that you did like and that uh-huh. you did enjoy. Mm-hmm. You and I recently saw, two days ago, a movie called Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm. And let me ask you this. Did you like it? That's my first question. Loved it. And do you think that your degree to loving it was proportionate to the number of cocktails you had? No. Really? No. So, I came out of that feeling like a million bucks. Like, I, we, you and I laughed more at that. I came out of that feeling like it was funnier than Ragnarok. Like, I loved it. I, I do too, and, I, and I'm pretty sure if I watched it Stone Cold Sober, I would have the same reaction. So, I came off of it the next day, and I'm like, wow, man, that was so funny, whatever else. And, so, and I talked to two different people who shit all over it. 
and said it was a retread and it was generic and it was really trying too hard and the jokes fell flat and there was no development of any kind and it had no value. And I'm like, what the hell? What movie did you see versus what, the movie uh, so, that so I saw? First of all, I don't know what they mean by no development of any kind and I don't understand because it addressed it all, all the it, no, it addressed all the issues that were raised in Ant Man one. It did. So I, I don't understand why they object to that. I object to the fact it, it, that it was it, it, called Ant-Man and the Wasp because that should have just been called The Wasp. Uh, okay, fine. I'm a big Evangeline movie fan. But, I mean, but it really it, was the story of the Wasp more than it was anything about him. Uh, she owned that movie backwards and forwards. Absolutely. Her, her combat but, scenes were better. Her her theoretical motivations were, were more drawn. She was more effectual in scenes where he was stumbling and she was like, well, we got to stay on point and everything else. She, okay, granted. Granted, but he was the continuity yeah. between the two films. And that's if he had not come along, she would not have come along. That's true. That's true. But I just right? felt like it was it was like it was the Wasp movie in the way that Han Solo was almost the Chewie movie or the Landa movie. Right? Mm, maybe. Maybe. But I still think that um, his character was central to sure. the tertiary personalities and bringing them on board. Um He's kind of the, the same, I mean, you could say the same thing about Deadpool too, right? The, sure. the central character was a buffoon and kind of stumbled his way through everything. And then he was saved by the Wasp. But I think the the focus of it was to address the, the several major issues, one of which was the whole mommy issues. Yes, definitely. Right? But also, and so, and, and so Paul, I, I Rudd really like, owns, Paul Rudd still owns what he's doing. He's very charismatic. He's He's extremely believable. Yes. by him when he was doing his stuff and it made him again one of the most compelling Marvel absolutely character actors yeah. because and you he, feel like he's an everyman in that role you feel like it's you and he did not change right between Ant-Man yeah. uh, Infinity War uh, I'm sorry Civil War and this movie he is who he well, is well and that's Paul Rudd's power post friends like you know in the modern era when Paul Rudd's being himself is that he makes he makes the everyman feel like he's them and that they are much smarter and charismatic and funnier and more mm-hmm. interesting than they are. Right. Okay. He's, it's like a secret weapon he has. He elevates in that way. I think. Yeah, I do too. And I would also point out that the things that saved their ass at the end were the things that they discounted, meaning, yes. um, yes. Um, Michael Douglas and Evangeline, like, Oh yeah, blah, 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 whatever. Um, right. You know, we're going to focus on these things and, well, you know the, the the whole conflict issue over um, civil war. He yeah. went rogue and everything else. I thought that was masterfully done. Well, and but, but so I think that but there's a theme between Ant Man one and then this one, which I really liked as a parent, which is he made choices in Ant Man one while having an ex wife and a kid at home and getting tangled up with people, and then you you know you move from that onto the events of Civil War and the ramifications. You know, it's not just like we're playing a video game and you bring the characters you want to bring that there's ramifications to him doing what he was doing in the light of the bigger picture of the Sokovia Accords right. conflict. I love the fact that Ant-Man 2 begins with the framework that this is a parent who got slapped hard for being irresponsible in the context of the choices they made and actually got really lucky to be given house arrest and any other person would be humiliated to be sitting around in house arrest with their tween daughter with them but he's so charismatic and so interesting and she's so welcoming of these things 
that they're playing fantasy games about being Ant-Man in the house. Like, mm-hmm. it was so interesting to me that they did that. But it, it, so, and me, and we've talked about this before, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and the large arc of the Marvel movies are all family movies. Right. Right? But, and but, but it, avoided the, it avoided the tropes of the, of the child being disappointed or betrayed or, oh, you didn't pick me up from flute, from flute practice. It was, she was like 100% behind him. She was like pushing him, which I thought was great. But his core motivation is to not fuck up the relationship with, with, his with her. There was a theme throughout the whole thing where he's like, I got to get back home. This is a guy that was breaking laws and went to prison. This is a guy that was definitely not making all the right choices in his life. And he's def- and even then, he didn't you know, destroy his suit when he said he would and all that other shit. But the bottom line was, all he cared about through the whole movie was, I really, I want to help you, but I got to get home before. The cops come and bust yeah, him. The cops come, the cops come and huh? yeah, right. I, I got to get back. And I thought that was interesting. Right. And so to me, you can say that um, Wasp and her dad were, you know, the superheroes of the movie. That's right. fine. Yeah. I, I the, You can have that mantle. The thing that I found most compelling was Paul Rudd. Sure. And, and, and the relationship that he had and how he's trying to find his way through this. And I will also point out that in Civil War, the character that gave Tony Stark the best dressing down was Paul Rudd. Yep. Right? Like, here comes the man. He knows everything about everyone. He's going to judge it. Yep. Um, so I, I think folks that judge it through that lens are not really giving full spectrum to the character and the complexities of his context. As a visual thing, I really love the fact, you know, I'm always looking for threes and things. I love the fact that his daughter had the number three on her jacket. Uh, also, here's another visual thing. Oh, come I, on. I, just full disclosure, I love you, Tom. I know. But go ahead. And then here's another thing. This is a, this is a, I don't know, this is an aside, but I mean, I loved it. So, the quantum gates that they, they you know, so we'll talk about the mystery of the fantasy tech in a minute, oh. but the quantum gate that Pym makes and then the quantum gate that, that, uh, what's his name? Goliath makes. That but, appears to be event horizon technology. But yeah. Like, yeah. Particularly, particularly yeah. the Pym one though, you know, it's a series of, co- of concentric sort of, uh, squared oval shapes that are illuminated mm-hmm. that pulse. And then they go backwards into this tunnel mm-hmm. and, by by framing him standing in the center of it, or a character standing yeah, yeah. in the center of it, they replicated the old timey effect, the graphics effect of someone shrinking. Yeah, when someone is shrinking in the comics, it's you see the oh, the outline of them as they get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and they so superimpose on their big right. Yeah. And so the glow, the glowing bands of the quantum bridge made that effect and i just was like in the in in the theater i was just like i can't even believe that they did that it's so great yeah so that's a graphics nerd uh, thing that no, I, I like i agree i agree with that entirely but the the my objections to the movie weren't in any of the character realm or the action realm or the plot realm mine were really around the science of it and no, but, i just uh, yeah i think it's the plot that's the problem there there really wasn't one i mean it was a very it was a very rudimentary structure that was made to provide minimal conflict that would allow the characters to interact with each other in an amusing way. But and, I, and I'm fine with it. It didn't the, the 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 brilliance of the film was that it didn't take me out of it. I didn't feel like I was like, well, this there's really spinning their wheels. There's really no point to any of this. 
I didn't get that. At so you didn't time, get motivated by ghosts? I enjoyed it. You, you weren't motivated by ghosts at all? And heard, no, I or... was to a point, but my point, my, my thing is, uh, I love that it wasn't a big stakes. There's a blue energy field coming out of the, the clouds that's going to destroy the Earth every single mm-hmm. movie. I love mm-hmm. that it was small scale. <laughs> but then, but I thought, but but in reality, the complexities of the linear plot were not that there wasn't very much. It was we made a thing, she stole that thing, we got to go find the thing that she stole and steal it back, and then we're going to fight over it for a bit, and there then the more, government's going to try to take yeah. it, and then and then we're going to open it, and then the and then and then Mad Max Michelle Pfeiffer come out. So there's actually wasn't. I mean, if you look at it from a from if you were to pencil out the plot on on index cards, it's really small yeah, yeah. because it really is just a series. It's almost like a play. It was a series of scenes that allowed these people to interact in a way that was interesting. And I like right. that. And so, and so to me, it was more character driven than plot driven. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, the case. And, so, and so to me, I, and I'm, and I read some of the reviews after I saw the movie, but I was really surprised by some of the negative reaction around ghost and Larry Fishburne's character. Cause I thought the character, the actress that played ghost yeah. was really really compelling she did a great job and she's done a really good job on other things she got a personal recommendation from spielberg to be on this film so yeah so to me i put her i put her in the same camp as valkyrie yeah and thor ragnarok that she actually was really compelling to watch and and follow um i think so much like deadpool and i suppose and you and you referenced valkyrie but then with tessa thompson and Zazie Beats and Dead and Deadpool, so maybe there's a thread, <laughs> a thread there about things we yeah. like about these movies. So, so possible maybe common thread me. that could be that could be it could be I could be yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. mixed yeah. Ethni- anyway. mixed ethnicity, interesting, powerful women. But the point is, what I liked about this one, just similar to DP two, but even more so, is that there was no um, there was no true antagonist. Ghost was given the most meta most. Um, uh, rational motivations of any Marvel villain that I can think of. She wasn't a villain. In fact, yeah. she was never. I saw a review that was specifically said, "Oh, she wants revenge on Shield for what happened." No, she didn't. No. She had nothing to do with any of that. She didn't. She didn't even want to fight anybody. She would just phase through things, and she was going after the thing, kick you to get off, get you off of her, so she can get the thing, and then phase out because she yep. wants to build the other thing. It well, was and, all and about be, and be, and saving herself. Neutral. Huh? And we got phase neutral. Yeah. Yeah. No longer be in this face. Yeah. So, and Goggins was a Goggins was a foil, uh, and that's a separate issue. But he was yeah. not a central villain. Yeah, yeah. It, there are some very interesting parallels in the Iron Man arc yes. with the Ant Man arc. Yes, right. And that the sins of the father. Yes, come home to roost. Yes, in very unique and elegant ways. However, and, yeah. But however, one one of the things I liked was. Unlike Ant-Man 1, which followed the Marvel Phase 1 problem, and Black Panther did the same, right? Where the villain is, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mirror universe version of you, and we have the same powers and the same look, except I'm the bad version, and I got parent issues, and we're going to fight. Right. Unlike, unlike, even Ant-Man 1 had that with Yellow Jacket. But a little bit, a, l- a little bit, to but a point. It, by, by proxy, right? Right, by proxy. Except what's in, but, but in this one, there was is... none of that. Well... Except that when Pim um, fired uh, Senior, yeah. right? Uh, they actually found out that he was the cause of right. Ghost, right. right? Right, and from his hubris, uh, right, right for his hubris, but not directly. And, uh, 
he fired a guy uh. who got together with another guy who tried to recreate the tech and fucked it up and then hurt a lab tech. Right, like Iron Man 2. Yeah, yeah. I guess well, so. I mean, I mean, sort of. It's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's you're right. Different tangent, different path, but the less same parrot, kind of general parrots, thing, right? Less parrots, right? But yeah. Less parrots, less chihuahuas. Let's make you work. Thank you. <laughs> um, I still like that. Come on. <laughs> but there's another par- There's another aspect of Iron Man 2 ness to this. I mean, you, you're absolutely right about that. There's very familial and in, 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 in a negative way as well as a positive way. You're absolutely right about that. And even the, the associated themes about abandonment and recovery. But what I liked about it, the overall story was the person who was the, was the foil, what had real motivations for doing what they were doing that may have yep. been selfish, but they were believable. And that, and then the tension that created between her and them, because she was stealing the shit because she wanted to get to the quantum realm that she, and that was keeping them from getting to it to find Michelle Pfeiffer's character was mm-hmm. believable. Those, the their competing interests were very clear, yeah, and that made sense to me. Yep. In in even as the characters didn't understand each other's motivations, so as a viewer, I understood them. So that's successful to me. Yeah, but I mean, you can understand the characters not understanding because they weren't exposed yeah. Yeah. to those experiences. We were, but I mean, so many of these movies we watch, the they 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 couch it on some character having an exposition series where they explain to you why they're doing what they're doing. And in this movie, no one ever explains why they're doing what they're doing. Right. They don't seem to understand it, but you as a viewer see it. And I like that. Right. But I mean, all the cutbacks and the historical sequences, they never, they never talk to the people that really matter. That's true. Right. It's all about getting us up to speed with what motivates them. I, I was disappointed that, um, what's his name? Never actually became Goliath. I was thinking, I love the whole comparison about the size and the, and the, wit- yeah, yeah. the witticisms from the trailer and whatever, but, and and that's another thing. It's it's really frustrating that the entirety of the combat sequences and sets in this movie were in the trailers. I mean, that's a problem. On the other hand, it points out like that the, the movie is not about those like scenes. A, I still like the Hello Kitty Pez dispenser coming. Oh, out. that's amazing. Yes, um, but uh, I just um, I I just thought they were setting up. I just thought they were setting up that uh, Fishburne's character was going to get into the in, get into the suit and attempt to pull out a suit and go big go big and that there was going to yeah. be something about he wasn't going to be able to handle the stresses of it the way Paul Rudd was able to do it but, yeah no I agree with you I thought I think that would that was a missed opportunity but yeah. I, I also I also think this is all a setup yeah. movie yeah you're right right I, I think this well because Goliath Goliath has a major role in the in the comics version of Civil yeah. War right yeah um, very tragic role. The other thing is, um, so Goggins. Well, is, I mean, a, tra- a tragic role throughout the entire series, right? Like G- Goliath is the one that's a sacrificial anode. He's like the Ollie North oh, of yeah. the entire enterprise, and then he still sacrifices himself to save everyone <laughs> in a way that 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 you know puts martyrs to shame. Like, I mean, it's just in- it's an incredible art. So, uh, but yeah, the, uh, Goggins is like an actor that I love. Love, yeah, and, and and I haven't seen Hateful Eight yet, but him on Vice Principals alone, I was just like, I can't keep my eyes off this guy. He's this cool, uh, slimy, slithery, but totally beat like eyes on you, tracking you guy. Have just you seen Justified? Owned it, huh? Have no, you seen Justified? I have not seen him in Justified. You you have to go back and I see will. Justified. I will. That is way better than Vice Principals. Okay, even so. They put him in this role, 
as a restaurateur who happens to know about quantum tech that is a black market tech guy and meh, yeah. get the thing and then oh you know he's comic relief at the end first of all it didn't make sense and it was a waste to him but also the more i thought about it the more it should have just been justin hammer it should have been what's his name pulled right out of iron man 2 because they exactly. established in continuity that he went to prison and then he got Sam out Rockwell. of prison. It Sam should have been Sam Rockwell. And then he got out of prison and he was resorting yep. to black market tech trading in one of the Marvel shorts is what he was doing. So it just should have been him. Or one of the Hydra guys in Ant-Man 1. Yeah. But I mean, that if was, it was him. That was taking the tech, right? But if it was, but if it was uh, Hammer, you would have had a great connection to the Marvel Universe. You would have had a, a really strong connection to the whole thing about... Um, taking tech that people didn't understand and then trying to reverse engineer it like a la iron man yeah yeah, and uh and spider-man right yeah like it just it wanted to be that so much and there were times when he was acting that i was imagining um sam rockwell sam rockwell in the role yeah and and anytime when uh walter goggins makes you think of some other actor is a terrible travesty because you should never think of someone else when goggins well but it, it it was it was that embodiment in that plot that drew the parallels right yeah so again to me it's 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 one of those why not admit the parallels in the arc of the characters and just make them yeah integrated and and so again there's another missed opportunity because they alluded to michael douglas knowing tony stark's father and the kind of the competition between stark industries and pym industries right that it it could have created a much more a, a much richer Story, well, and that's a that's been a thread in the MCU, just like it has been in the comics, which is that these billionaire industrialist designers, science types, have they all have a vision of what the world should be, and they're all they're all trying to influence the way things are. Yes, through Bill Gates, Elon Musk, yeah, right, right. They they all have their own vision of the end game. To to quote to quote a, a a bottom feeder that you may know, the rich guys love rockets. Oh. Rocket Man, oh, little Jesus. Rocket Man. So, um, I have to say, I still think that that whole sequence, and I know it was playing off the first movie, but the whole sequence where um, Pina once again owned the movie oh, but so. from beginning to so. end, he owned it. But that whole sequence where he thought he was on a truth serum and did that whole narrative, <laughs> uh, you no. and I, I mean, we no. we both reached like um, our doctors would be alarmed, laughing, like like then- can't breathe, the heart rate was up. That was probably the funniest scene I have ever witnessed in a superhero flick ever. And passing and, 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 into the voices, having other people yes. do the do the um, do the dialogue as he's narrating it is like oh my god. And the fact that the music, yeah, fit the tone. They amped oh, totally. up the music like it was the same crackhead dream. It was like it was, it was, yeah, it was watching Kings of New York. Yes, uh, with crack, and now you're in true serum mode, and. So to me, Pena, I can't wait for him to save the, the universe in uh-huh. Infinity War Two. <laughs> I would love right? it. I can't. I can't wait to him be the guy that you know turns a switch that saves everyone. And then to be fair, because I walked out of that theater thinking about him nonstop, and then like the next day, yesterday, I was at work and I found myself laughing because I was thinking of <laughs> Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. The one guy saying it's the Baba Yaga, and then in that and then and then when you get into the truth serum mode, he just kept sure. saying Baba Yaga, 
like straight, out, straight out of John Wick. Yeah. Straight out of Babadook. But also, it like... Was, oh, my God. I know I'm a man of a certain taste, but for fuck's sake, man. The fact that there was this whole thing about Morrissey love and how <laughs> his mother was like, you better love Morrissey or you're in trouble. Like, everything about that, I was like, I can't even... I mean, I know that they're playing on the thing of, you know, Mexicans loving Morrissey um, culturally, but, I mean, give me a break, dude. It was so dead on. I read up no, my it was alley. A, I loved it. It was a stroke of genius. And so oh that, my God. I, again, again and again, the MCU takes these tangential characters, right? And makes and, them and, so good. And, and it actually makes them, in some ways, better than the core. And it's a, and it's one of the things I'm thinking, you know, post-Ragnarok, I hope that there's going to be a time when we're going to see some of the supporting cast from the Thor stuff before because Kat Dennings was really good that way. And Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Go- well, yeah, Ragnarok, Ragnarok, yes, but because <clears throat> we lost Kat Dennings when, and, and frankly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Natalie okay. Portman as Jane Foster was more interesting than a character that written that way was expected to be. Well, I actually, well, Kat Dennings like, meow, meow. The, yes. um, but Natalie indicated that she would be willing to come back. Yes. Right, so yes. there's that, and she's trying to atone for episodes one through three. Yes, I think that's maybe maybe you're right. Yeah. Um, I uh, also uh, I loved. You can tell kind of I think when Pina is improvising. I think you can, or it could be like, you know, some of these other projects where they're actually doing very little improvisation, but it sounds like they're doing it. But the little things like when he was up in the window, going like, <laughs> "Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to the office. I think I'm fine. I mean, my heart's racing and I can't breathe. I'm a little dizzy, but I think I'm fine. It's probably nothing, right? It's probably fine. It's fine. I'm fine." Like that stuff was just killing me. No, I'm I'm pretty sure there's a high degree of improv on the set. So, the quantum realm stuff. So obviously, mm. everyone's talking about yes, okay, mm. because of the <clears throat> the 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 stinger. You, you had that, to bring me. You had to bring me down. <laughs> no, no, no. So because of the stinger, we find that he's in the quantum realm when the Thanos snap. Oh, okay. We're gonna we're gonna the snapshot all the Michelle Pfeiffer stuff. Okay, yeah, great. The, the yes, snapshot of leapfrogging. The snapshot happens, and everybody vaporizes, and he's trapped in the quantum realm. Right after he was told, "Be careful of the time vortexes." Okay, so they've set up a bunch of seeds that are going to be post Infinity War important. But what I found interesting also was the parallels between... And we saw this before when Ant-Man 1 came out before Doctor Strange, but it was even more obvious this time that the quantum realm seems to behave and act and look very much like the multiplanar Strange stuff. Which means it seems to be that just like they did with the Asgardians, that Marvel's attempting to make magic a science as opposed to magic. Of course it is. And I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. As a man of science, you would. As yeah, a, man, no, um, a man who likes, fa- you know, fantastical, wishy-washy, nonsensical science, yes. But even Guardians did it. Yeah, you're right. Right, and and um, magic is science you don't understand. And that's the thing. I mean, they certainly took that approach with the gods. And I'm wondering if that's if they're going to actually uh, codify that and say that all of the the planes and all the other stuff that Doctor Strange uh, trades in are. <clears throat> dimensions that are science dimensions and not magic. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if oh, but, they ever have I, to do that. I don't I don't think there's a need to to eat that it's one or the other, right? Yeah. I think um, the physical and the physical and how you access it, that can just be a matter of perspective and vernacular sure. rather than actual. Yeah, you're right. And I think um, the fact that a lot of the talismans that they use uh-huh. and and how they channel things and the geometry of even the patterns that they create 
to jump through things um, kind of creates a sigil like um, momentum behind it that could be easily described in mathematics and just channel the energy in a different way. Fractals, man, it's all fractals. Well, um, I mean, <clears throat> you, take, you, you take a look at uh, a lot of the patterns that they weave and they are geometric, they are alphabetical, they are mathematical. Yep. Right? And it's just a different way of understanding and manipulating the universe that's beyond the pale for everybody else. Quantum. Yeah, and yet they became quantum became as wishy washy as anything else. Well, they no. Got they, they, they really they really abused the hell out of that term. <clears throat> Nothing makes sense about Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Her subsistence without oxygen, nutrients, and then, water, and, and yet and yet she aged. She aged. Uh, she took theoretically, I guess, one of her wings and made a, a like a weird little scythe out of it. She got yeah, a Mad and, Max robe. Yeah, um, and I have, and I have no idea what she did with her excrement. I really, I really did like though that the movie began showing the, showing the secret mission, and them trying to get the missile and all that stuff and why she had to shoot yeah, yeah. so small. That was a great framework exercise. The 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 de aging flashback with her and him was their best yet. Like it was, I was sitting mm-hmm. there staring at it, which is still the problem with that tech, right? You just have to stare at it. Yeah, um, no, the, but it looks so or great. Just, uh, just go ten degree oblique to it and just yeah. accept it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did an amazing job. But when they actually got her, mm. it was so like I kept telling myself it's not really her, or she's evolved, or she's merged with some other thing. She's merged into some other thing. She's not the person that they even kept saying. What Scott? What if my mom isn't the same person? And then she's like, you know, I'm not the same person that I was and I've had to adapt and also all these other things. Like, I was just astonished that we didn't get a betrayal from mom at the end. Right. I felt like that's where that was going. Oh, or I would have preferred to see Hella and oh. mom hanging out and going batshit crazy with each other. <laughs> Wait a minute. Right? I think that was on RedTube, but yes. No, no, but, 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 but Hella didn't age. Right. Right. And, and so I, I, Good point. I, I just, whether it was an affectation that that is what they expected, so that is what she was. Yeah, it's like they fell into the cipher of uh, she was in suspended animation or something, or she was in a coma for 60 years or something like that. Well, if she didn't eat oxygen, <laughs> she didn't eat food, and she right. didn't eat a poop bag, time better be suspended because otherwise it's like really bad. She's been farming tardigrades. I, th- I couldn't believe that they went into a field of tardigrades after the last oh two God. months where every minute you remind me that space tardigrades piss you off. Yes, those are quant- and I still those are quantum tardigrades. Right, and I still can't get over the fact that fungal drives, fungal drives, and that the whole point of getting small and being able to hit somebody and whack the hell out of them all came down to relative inertia and momentum, and yet they can shrink a building you put on a cart and you're gone. Uh, yeah, there, or a so, tank you can put yeah. a tank on the keychain, or put it in a Hot Wheels bank, right? Because one or the other has to be true. If they're going to well, shrink right, that right, small, right. right? They've been playing fast and loose, but even the first one was like that. You're like, wait a minute, this is not. It doesn't no, no, even. It doesn't even make sense. It's the, yeah. the scale, even going back to like the conceit that the car shrinks small and is racing along the road, in proportion, that car was going like 500 miles an hour. Right? Like yeah. It didn't even, like it, it, it wasn't scaled. Uh, right. But, and, but the car, okay and, a car, and a car materializing under a car right. would not bounce the top car off. Right, right. right. Everything, had, would... everything had a variable mass and inertia to it. That was very favorable to the protagonist. Yeah. Absolutely. But the thing is, the movie is fun enough that you accept those rules. Yes, I agree. And, 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 and to me, one of the problems that the movie had was that because the 
surprise new power that he had of growing was shown in Civil War, he came into this movie with a certain kit of parts. I can shrink, mm-hmm. I can get big, I can do both. And we never saw anything new. He didn't do anything actually that was new and surprising to us. The only thing that was different was to make it less mundane. Go small, go big, go small, go big. They had to do the malfunction of the suit. So now because it's malfunctioning, he's not controlling it. So he's big when he wants to be small. And he's and the most brilliant part of the whole fucking movie was he's 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 a third tall in a long sweatshirt. I mean, oh, was, the Hobbit, the oh Hobbit phase was just brilliant. Oh yeah. So I mean, it was it was brilliant of them to do that to keep it interesting. Well, but, except that but it's he a, never had a new. They never did anything new about his power set, which surprised me. Except that he was the only one to be able to go down to the quantum realm and bring somebody back. Right, but they've already established that in the first movie. He didn't but, bring anybody back, but, but he went to the quantum. But, but but still, he's the only one able to do that. Sure, but there's nothing new in this movie. But I think that's going to be a very important trait moving forward. Oh, sure. But I was expecting, as we were watching this, I was expecting that there was going to be some other thing that he was going to figure out how to do. But I wasn't. I couldn't wrap my head around what it would be because they've already exceeded the the character's lame in the comics. The character yeah. power set's lame. Actually, the character's interesting because he's a shithead. But or a pim is anyway. But the actual concept of a shrinking character, and then you know, at some point, like, well, we'll make him big. You know, there broadly, there's not a lot there. So I was waiting for more nuance about the way he would use it in combat, and she did a really good job. They did a great job choreography-wise. Wait, 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 wait wait a minute, because she was augmented by her dad. Right, right, and, 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 and is, Paul and Paul and Paul Rudd said, "Wait, what about the wings? What about the blasters? You didn't have those before, right?" Like, I get that, but they put a lot of work into showing how she had trained to go mm-hmm. big and small as a combat yeah. mechanism, and how she would use the the transmogrifier to make other objects big and small and use them in offensive and defensive ways, and it was fun. What I was expecting was more creativity with him. And how he would do that, even if it was accidental. And there just really wasn't. The most they did was make him scoot with one knee, right? Oh, but, but I'm okay with that. I, I wasn't actually looking for maturation of the technology. I was looking for maturation of the character. Speaking of technology, and I know you had a hard time with this, but I, the one thing I will say about the, the, the hand-wavy technology in this movie, which was you and I kept looking at you like, what? Like, why is there a submarine with... A special oh magic, bu- a magic quantum button on it, you know, like it was, <clears throat> but to me it was a throwback to like 60s Fantastic Four meets Fringe, like where you just coat stuff with aluminum and put a couple lights on it and it's a purpose-built, just-in-time tool that doesn't really make any sense. Like, I was willing to accept that in the movie's uh, narrative and I felt like you really couldn't handle that, and I and I, I couldn't handle that. And I, I felt to myself like I felt to myself like you know when they're dealing with science unknowns, the only you know in a in a superhero world in this fantastical environment, the only way to handle it is the idea that they would be able to very quickly engineer a way to adapt to that or to interface with it, which is a very fantastic war kind of thing. So I was able to accept that because it didn't, nothing, not everything has to be interstellar. As much as we like that movie, but. agreed. But I think they they could have done some more rational development around it, right? Like um, they had no problem with Paul Rudd going into the Avengers headquarters to steal technology out, right? Yep. And maybe there was a technology that 
the invaders brought with them that they needed to hijack on the temporal gating aspect of it to go transdimensional that they could have gone back and stolen, right? And so you're talking about some of the characters that you wish were um, ported in from the Avengers side of the house into Ant-Man and the Wasp. I think there could have been some better causality there that would have led some more credibility to what they did in the science realm. Yeah, I think you're right. Because Oliver is going to sprinkle some fairy dust and think good thoughts and click our heels three times and suddenly, boom, we're in. Um, doesn't really satisfy me. Or at least it could have had a guest appearance from Neil deGrasse Tyson yes. acknowledging that he's an alien and getting his alien technology closet out and you know, doing something with like that. Yeah, I mean, if it was veering into the Deadpool side of things, they can see it just like cut and he's talking to the camera. So here's the thing, you know. Right, or let's go to the quantum realm, go in the future, get a technology and bring it back and then yes. use it. Yes, well, definitely. Like transparent the, aluminum. The, the quantum Trek, realm right? and him being trapped in there is, is going to be a linchpin to how the next... Oh, but he's not trapped. Well, he's trapped in the sense that he doesn't have anyone to get him out yet. No, but he did come out. That's how he saw the ashes. He, he didn't see any ashes. No, he did. No, he didn't. He, he did. Incorrect. He was in there going, mm-hmm. guys, guys, anytime, guys. And then the camera cuts to seeing mm-hmm. them on the roof with the ashes flowing. And he's still in there going, hello, guys. And then it fades to black and it says Ant-Man and Wasp will return. Mm-hmm. He didn't get out yet. I remember However, we didn't see Ghost and Goliath yet. So they may be alive and they may be able to get him out. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, it will be interesting to see if Ghost is used in the future stories because she could be an incredibly cool asset. But I think he's trapped. Mm-hmm. I think he's I think he's like trapped in fucking inner space, man. Quantum space. At that moment at the end of the movie, it's like the rope. He, he you know, he spun the thing and the end of the rope came. Mm-hmm. Quantum no, quantum rope. All right, so that was Ant Man. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. I, I. So, uh, so you would say great, great movie, right? You enjoyed it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. What was your, um, what was your red tentacle moment on that movie? Explain to me what red tentacle is. Red tentacle is where we say that there's the one thing that was the best thing out of the, all the things we saw. Every scene Michael Pena was in. Okay, well, mine was certainly mine was certainly (laughs) when the when his mom was yelling about Morrissey. Um, and no, then, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be a little more specific about it. It was uh, it was probably the scene with Michael Pena and Evangeline Lilly when they're doing like the uh, the rock reprise going down Coit Tower, and uh, they they did the uh, Pez dispenser and the exploding truck scene oh, yes. down yes, that. Yes, that yes, was yes, probably yes. my that was because th- what I also love about this movie is that they went through San Francisco, yeah, and it was like uh, my favorite spots in San Francisco tour. So yes. it was, it and was it wasn't fun. as egregious as. Uh, as uh, Basic Instinct or the game, whatever it was, the game was it the game where every scene, every scene as they were driving along the chase was in a different neighborhood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit more consistent. So in the game. mission, now they're in yeah. North Beach, now they're yeah. in Dog Badge in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, what about and then the bad, the bad octopus or the yeah, the bad octopus is the is is everything the part related, that we, every, we didn't like the least. Yeah. Everything related to momentum and. Uh, uh-huh. Conservation of inertia. Okay, for me it was the, um, for me it was just the bumbling nature of his FBI connect. Uh, what's his name? Who's on? Uh, uh, whatever from the block. <laughs> the sitcom, you know. Yeah, it's late. So anyway, late. that guy. 
who had also was like, you know, hey, do you want to actually get some dinner or whatever? Now that guy was like, parts of it was okay, but parts of it wasn't. I really liked when he tried to explain to the daughter, but then he got really complicated about the Sokovia Accords. I like that part. But mm-hmm. otherwise, he was just, I mean, he was one step up from a Keystone cop. So I just didn't really have any. No, he's trying to be like a dumber down version of Agent Smith. Yeah, but not. It didn't work. Yeah, but Agent Smith is great, and this guy was the anti great. Um, right on, man. So I'm, I, I think we're in agreement. It was a great movie, and those other people don't know what the hell. I think um, some folks are tired of Marvel doing 20 number one movies. Yeah, it's possible. There's yeah. a backlash. There's definitely yeah. a backlash. Hey, before we uh, ha- before we wrap up the session, I wanted to ask you. You know, thinking about our segment for planned plundering and uh, rum fueled recommendations. So mm-hmm. the former being things we're looking forward to, and then the latter being things that we want to recommend. Do you have either things I want to recommend? Well, planned plundering things you're planning to enjoy, and then things that you want to recommend. Two different segments: planned plundering, uh, rum fueled so... recommendations. So, uh, Planned Plundering is a, a quiet place. Oh, okay. Well, looking forward to that. Yes. And yours? So, my Planned Plundering is the movie Annihilation. Oh, I've seen that. Which I just Did you read the books? No. Um, and you've told me about the fact that it's different. Um, but I still want to see the movie, and I tried to uh, rip the Blu-ray, and I could not. So, I have to actually go and put the media in the thing and sit down and watch it so that's going to happen mm-hmm. um and the and then i'm also uh okay well i guess i'll save the other part for um well i'll do my rumfield recommendation and that is that people have gotten a little bit of a burnout and backlash on the marvel netflix stuff especially after defenders and iron fist but um mm-hmm. i started watching luke cage season two i'm just starting it mm-hmm. um and while it very definitely still has that marvel netflix problem of there are four sets and five people and we just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, thematically, I'm enjoying it. There are some new characters that I find very interesting um, and I'm enjoying it for what it is a lot more than I thought I would, especially after uh, some of the criticism after Iron Fist and Defenders. Like it's, I really enjoyed Jessica Jones season two, though some mm-hmm. people didn't. And I'm really enjoying the beginning of Luke Cage so far. Great. Uh, do you have any uh, rum fueled recommendations of your own? I am really looking forward to Night Flyers. Uh, okay, so that's another planned plundering for you. I am too, though. No, no, I'm sorry. Oh, you're looking at things that are already existing. Yeah, that things that you, you want to recommend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Keep on talking. I have to go do some searching. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to edit this part. No, we're not. I have, uh, no, no I, edits, I have man. a lot, actually. We're in the post-edit world. No, um, that's not correct. So, I, uh, um, I'm so, so I'm, so I'm interested in, in, in watching Annihilation. And also, oh, I know. Oh. So this is a flashback. It's yes. a complete flashback. Cold Souls. Oh. And I don't, I don't know if folks have seen it. Probably not. Not, th- not this folk. Yeah. Uh, it is a great movie with Paul Giamatti. Mm-hmm. Where the ability to trap and extract a soul is commonplace. And Paul Giamatti, playing himself as an actor, uh, goes to this place to get uh, the soul of a Russian poet so he can, he can qualify for the title role in Chekhov's Uncle Vanya. Oh, my God. And 
the, the dystopian reality that ensues from this, and this is like a, a mid-flight lark that I took on the way back from Perth, Australia, and it absolutely floored me how good this movie is, and no one has heard of it. Uh, and I really encourage folks to go out and see it. I think Paul Giamatti is at his best as in 2009 when it was released, and it is a phenomenal movie. All right, I have to actually even write this down because I'm not going to remember. So it was Cold Souls, right? Yep. Cold Souls. Yeah. All right. Um, and it, and it, it was it was very well liked by critics, uh, and it just it, was, it just wasn't even seen on the popular box office. So I really encourage everybody to go see that. Uh, what was your other? You had a you had another. Oh, it was um, what was your other plan plundering that you told me? Something night flyer. Oh, night flyer. That's right. Um, I'm yeah, really looking forward to that. Actually, it's the George R. R. Yes. Tolkien new thing. <laughs> That's right. No, no. <laughs> night flyer is the uh, it's it's the Event Horizon one, right? It's no, the, it's J. R. R. Martin. It's a series that he wrote. And but, now he's uh, yeah, but it was, developing but, for sci-fi. But it's 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 a space station or a spaceship that's got problems on it, and don't don't come get us and everything, right? Right. But it's it's George R. R. Martin's novella, Night Flyers. Yeah. Oh, I get yeah. that. So I just I'm fascinated to see, you know, if he actually finished the book, and if it makes sense. And oh, it, it looks very promising. It's a sci-fi, and it's what sci-fi actually kicked Expanse off for. Sort of, yeah. No, no, directly. What do you mean? Because they own they own all the rights to this, right. and so they don't have right. any marketing back-end issues like they did. With well, the of course, okay. In that sense, I agree with you. Yeah. In the other sense, I don't agree with you. Which is, Expanse is, Expanse is the best thing that's ever been or ever will be, and they kicked it off because they realized that if they couldn't have the whole pie, they didn't want any of it. Exactly. And they had the whole pie with this one. Yes. Night Flyers. Yeah. It was a good talk. Sort of like, sort of like Sharknado. Sharknado. They own, they own all of it, but it's just a shit <laughs> buffet. So uh, we had a good time having this discussion. I think we can, yeah. all, I think we can collectively agree um, that uh, we know a lot of stuff about a lot of things and that our opinions are generally <laughs> correct. And I made you depressed about Solo and you made me depressed about... Ant-Man and Wasp. So no, there you go. That's not true. It's an even trade. We like to laugh. We don't like to think about fake science. Indeed. I which is, which so, is the reason well, why we have so much trouble with the news today. You should go and check my Instagram post. The Nagi can't even bear to watch. Oh, I saw uh, it. I saw uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Head in the paws. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, uh, listen, that was great. Um, thanks again for this. It was fun to actually see the movie with you. And the next time we actually do this, we'll record right afterwards. So we can have Indeed. a lot of the... You can have a lot of those, man, that was great, man. And, you know, less coherent, but more enthusiastic responses to it. But yes. Well, it's all, it's all about ethos and less pathos. That's well, really what you, it's all about. And if you come up as you, you swore and promised you would, if you come up to uh, Portland for me, with me with that, for that, uh, and Rose City show, yeah. Yeah. Rose yeah, City, yeah. you will have, uh, opportunities to, um, do this very thing and talk about your experiences at the first comic convention that you will have worked at. That'd be great. Lots of beard oil and t-shirts. Beard oil and t-shirts. Not in my booth, buddy. Live right. long and prosper. Okay, cheers. Cheers. And scene. Okay, is it insane? Insane? Crazy? Do you like scary movies? I sure of do. Of course, we all do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except not, not too scary. Not too scary. 
What about somewhat scary? Yeah, moderately scary sounds great. Tom eating nuts in the background, scary? Sorry. They're scary nuts. <laughs> scary nuts. Well, if you couldn't tell, this is an advertisement, Tom. I can tell, and I'm excited and intrigued. It's a sponsored ad from one of the fine companies, what sponsors the company <laughs> that we... Schweppes. <laughs> <laughs> Moderately, moderate horror by Schweppes. Do you like fine t-shirts and what what, are, what else do they have? Memory foam mattresses? <laughs> you find none of that on Deeply Dapper. Oh, that's not true. We have t-shirts now. Yeah. We have t-shirts at deeplydapper.com. We Did just you know stumbled that? into the purpose of your advertisement. Yes. I, I've forgotten how to do this. What t- what t-shirts do you have? Uh, we only have two right now. Uh, we have our Read Band Books Necronomicon t-shirt. Love that one. And our Damn Fine Coffee Twin Peaks t-shirt. That's awesome. Uh, we also have enamel pins. And uh, sometime in the next week or two, we're going to put up our soaps and melters and candles for sale again. Awesome. Uh Key hooks? I just, Key hooks? I've, I've completely lost the thread of this this kicks of this this promotion, Tom. It's because you have already promoted so many amazing things, including brand new products like T-shirts. And my mind is literally melting out of my ears. <laughs> but more importantly, we have a couple of really super fun Kickstarters coming up in a couple of months. Like what? Um, we're planning a Halloween Kickstarter. Oh yes. In which we are going to expand our t-shirts out to do some fun, like, vintage Halloween stuff. Right. We're going to do enamel pins with that Kickstarter. Right. And then the following month, we're going to be doing our Christmas Krampus Kickstarter that we do every year. Fantastic. And if you go to our website at deeplydapper.com and sign up for our newsletter, you can get all of that information as it happens. I love it. And I cannot wait. I'm going to go there right now. Okay. So that's deeplydapper.com for all of your Pete nerd needs. Better living through tentacles. <laughs> <laughs>